Jenny Williams was killed? Yes. Find something? Animal tracks. Whoever is bitten by a werewolf and lives becomes a werewolf himself. Oh, don't hand me that. You're just wasting your time. The wolf bit you, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah, he did. You wouldn't want to run away with a murderer, would you? Oh, Larry, you're not. You know you're not. I killed Bela. I killed Richardson. If I stay here any longer, you can't tell who'll be next. bloody pit it's episode 99 that means Mm -hmm. whatever i've got planned Mm -hmm. for next episode better be good or people are gonna fucking remember it (laughs) as i said i am rod barnett and tonight i am with you're with troy gwen and yes let's let those 99 loof balloons flow (laughs) (laughs) well interesting that you should put it that way first folks uh if you if you know what this episode's about we'll get to it in a minute but i want to get this out Mm -hmm. um i being someone who grew up uh, let's just say i was a teenager in the 80s uh, there are a lot of things that, unfortunately, uh, I detest that came out of the mm-hmm. 80s. But the mm-hmm. things that I grew up with that I have a lot of love and affection for, mm-hmm. I do find myself occasionally cycling back through and enjoying. And not just movies, mm-hmm. not just television, not just books, but music as well. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm going to throw out the name of a band, and I'm going to see if... Because I think there's a dividing line. Mm-hmm. I don't know necessarily that you had an experience with this particular band, or at least the same experience that I had uh-huh. because of my circumstances at the time. Uh, the band is Big Country. Yeah. Okay. Love Big Country. Okay, good. Uh, so uh, how, how how deep into their into their albums did you got me? Everybody knows, of course, the, ma- the major hit off the very first album. Right. No, I had uh, pretty much the albums that they released kind of in that, during that stretch of years that I guess okay. they were there. Now, if they did any later albums, I don't really think well, they I did. Had. But that's what I'm prim- primarily talking about are those '80s albums. Yeah. Um, the uh, yes. Yeah, so so and I have a uh, so I had those on vinyl and which I guess would be the first album and then the uh, what was the I guess the second the EP was, which is the, oh yeah the, the EP called Wonderland Wonderland yeah. and then uh, whatever the second one so Steel Town was yes the second yes one. So I had all those and then I also have a have an anthology that I got actually not too many years ago which probably has. I, it probably has some stuff from the later periods, but um, if it's the one I was looking at recently, yeah, probably believe it does. And I, and I mean, I liked every. I mean, I liked the entire thing, but some of those songs, like Wonderland, is an incredible song. Uh, one yeah. of my favorite songs is "Where the Roses Sown." is just incredible. That's song. all Steel Town. Yeah, that's yeah. all Steel. That is an amazing song. Yeah. Okay, the th- the thing is, recently, uh, a few months ago, I got a new mm-hmm. computer, so I was like <laughs> replenishing. I was going through my CDs and burning them onto mm-hmm. the onto the damn computer, so I could throw them onto the iPod and everything, mm-hmm. just to be able to hear them. Instead of having to be near a CD player, CDs are uh, what old folk listen to music on nowadays, people. (laughs) Young folk apparently have chosen vinyl again. I don't know why, but that's what they've done. Anyway, 
So I was burning this on there. So I pulled out uh, my uh, CD of Steel Town, which I've had, some, I don't know, because I originally bought them on vinyl as mm-hmm. well, because it's the 80s, of course. Mm-hmm. But I've had a CD of Steel Town forever and ever. And so uh, I threw it on there, and I discovered that something had gone wrong with the CD. Uh, I think it has something to do with the flood. And so the very first track, Flame of the West, which is a song, I mean, if, mm-hmm. if ever there was a yeah. track that started off just burning, yeah. burning everything down <laughs> right, and right. letting you know just how this... This album is going to sound sonically. It's Flame of the West. Yeah, and so uh, I put it in, and it's and I went to listen to it on the iPod a couple of days later, mm-hmm. and Flame of the West is sitting there, but something has deteriorated in the CD, so the song wasn't there. It was it was literally uh-huh. zero minutes and zero seconds. Uh-huh. So I start the album, and it immediately starts the second track, and I'm like, what the, where the fuck is Flame of the West? Wow. And that's when I discovered this. So I went, oh wait, all right. That's why I started doing research, figuring mm-hmm. out, okay, how can I get my hands on all these albums? I don't, you know, this is pissing me off. Yeah, yeah, and so. Got to thinking about it, and so I, I started listening over the next couple of days to Steel Town again, and so I remember mm-hmm. almost everything about it, and I realized that for the first time, possibly ever, I, mean, I know I know all the words to every song on the freaking album. Uh-huh. I mean, they're like ingrained in my brain, will never leave, yeah. and so I'm singing along with every one of these songs, probably looking like a maniac to everybody else <laughs> driving down the road, and I realize. I'm I'm really absorbing. There's some of the songs, and I like where the roses sound and things like that. Mm. That honestly bring tears to my eyes. Yeah, there's a yeah. lot of the the song Steel Town itself yeah. is, is a Beautiful real song. gut yeah. punch yeah, it is. because, and I realized that the whole album is that way to a large mm. degree. I I mean the album could have been named instead of Steel Town Steel Town. It could have been called uh, Songs of Pain, Regret, mm-hmm. Sorrow, yeah. and and you know yeah. near suicide for God's sake. Yeah. And it's it's a very powerful album. There's so much poetry in just rhyming couplet after rhyming couplet and they're just so powerfully put together and uh, of course with with the uh, big country what you're talking about is a is a is a band that had a unique sound to begin with with that mm-hmm. with that bizarre way of tuning the guitar i don't know what i remember, i forget what they're use, they were using yeah. to kind of get every now and then they get a bagpipe, bagpipe sound bagpipe sound yeah because they're a scottish right. band yeah. And, yeah. and they get that bagpipe sound out of, out of the guitars every now and then and i'm listening to this stuff and I'm just really blown away by the power of it, and I'm so glad I, you know, whatever fired off in my head to make me revisit this album. But uh, what was kind of amazing is I had that thing happen to me once again, where uh, the past few weeks I've been concentrating on werewolf movies. Mm-hmm. I wonder why. Yeah, can you imagine? Yeah, I bet. Well, well, the the subject of tonight's yeah podcast, and then of course uh, keeping uh, keeping uh, a hand in the Nashicast stuff because yeah. we're we've been concentrating on a bunch of Daninsky films here lately with with guests uh, mm-hmm. being on the show. And so I've been rewatching a few here and there. Yeah. And so top of mind is werewolf stuff again. So I'm listening to the song Flame of the West, and it's like, wow, there's so many images in the song yeah. that I, I I watched the Wolfman, the 1941 film, yeah. and I'm seeing some of these images. Oh, cool. That can match perfectly to the film. Huh. And I'm thinking that's just. Man, this is a sickness within me. And I've talked about this with you before. Where it's, there's there's yeah. absolutely no relation between Flame, Flame of the West. Yeah. Flame of the West. There's just nothing that re- yeah. relates it to the Wolfman at all. And yet here I am going. Oh, this is weird because it's talking about a guy coming from the West mm. and visiting, mm. you know, ostensibly a Scottish town. Yeah. And yes, of course, the Wolfman takes place in a you know in, in it, Wales. It, yeah. So it's, it's far from being you know mm-hmm. the, you know opposite mm-hmm. ends of the freaking UK. But at the same time, it's one of those things where it's like. Yeah, but well, there's so many things, and there's like eight instances in the song where it's like this. Could, they could be talking about this movie. This is really weird, and I, I'm the only twisted son of a bitch on the planet Earth that would have put those two together. And it's of course because I've got wolf, wolfman, and yeah. wolf 
full werewolf films on the brain and oh. I'm just rediscovering these songs for, yeah. you know for the first time in years it's such a strange thing so of course probably you're going to hear Flame of the West at the end of this podcast hey, and I apologize I, I don't for think that. anyone will will hate I don't think anyone will hate that that's an awesome song but I, there's something strange about the the sound of the the, al- mm. the entire album Steel Town it's always had everything's got this um, the vocals have a lot of air in them, and the mm-hmm. drums have a lot of air in them, and they sound huge. Mm-hmm. And occasionally, there the, are these uh, repeating guitar sounds within a lot of the songs that just sound like a, a whip crack across the entire yeah. soundscape. And then the, the 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 jagged, intricate guitar loops that get brought get brought in a certain. And it's just it's funny, uh, you know, listening to it when I'm a teenager is one thing, mm-hmm. and listening probably listening to it even in my twenties was one thing. Mm-hmm. But listening to it now mm-hmm. and really concentrating on what they're doing, and also having bought what is without a doubt a probably remastered and much better sounding yeah. version <laughs> sure. than my ancient uh-huh. obviously deteriorating CD copy. <laughs> uh, it's really nice to to revisit something like this because often uh, I find myself revisiting stuff like this and what I'm what I'm coasting on is a lot of nostalgia. Mm. Uh, but when you get something that really yeah. starts to yeah. speak to you in a fresh way as you're listening to it as yeah. opposed to as, as part of some remembrance, that's kind of amazing. And I just... Mm-hmm. You being a, mus- a musician, stuff like that probably happens to you all the sure, time. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, yeah. I, I, I just wanted I mean, to bring it's it always up. great to, when something does still retain its power, or like yeah. you said, maybe hits you in a different way. Um, yeah, I regret that I never got to see Big Country Live. Did you ever get to? No, see I didn't. Either, didn't no, but I've, I've did. heard. I mean, I've, I've heard a radio broadcast or, or listened to. Uh, a radio broadcast of them one time, and they sounded like they were really powerful live too. You know, like they're really able to pull off, you know, a lot of that sound and energy, you know, live as well. But my understanding is they reformed a few years ago and did tours, and apparently released a couple of new albums. I've not heard them. I know the first album, the Wonderland EP, Steel Town. Their third album, The Seer, which was also mm-hmm. brilliant, and then Peace in Our Time, which was their their mm-hmm. fourth full album. And that's where I lost them. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I, I just I drift I drifted away. I don't know if there was a I can't remember if there was like a long break between Peace and Our Time and the next album they released. Mm-hmm. But that mm-hmm. section of albums, uh, those first four in that EP, are the things that are just kind of you know they're forever in my head. And 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 now I'm kind of I'm kind of looking forward to revisiting mm-hmm. uh, the first album and uh, the yeah. Seer again because the Seer I remember being uh, not not being nearly as um, Razor slashing wrists inducing yeah, as Steel yeah, Town was. Yeah. Uh, it's it's, yeah. it's it's not a it's not a depressing album to listen to. There's a lot of power in it. And there's a there's an uplift in most uh, in most cases, but it's really dark subject matter for an album. So well, considering how Stuart Adamson finished up and all that's uh, it's not yeah. too not too surprising yeah. overall. I guess you know yeah, that yeah. it's it's interesting. Interestingly enough, I shared a bill with him. Really? Uh, not too long before he killed himself, uh, when he was he had a band called Blue Healer, which was uh, um, was kind of the last project he did before he killed himself. And there was a Secret Commonwealth where we were playing as part of a there was a Nashville Music Showcase downtown, and it was happening at an Irish pub called Shawnee. You remember Shawnee? Yeah. It used to be down there on Second Avenue, and so yeah, and so they Blue Healer was part of that bill along with Secret Commonwealth, and it was not very long at all uh, after that that he that he I think that that he, he killed himself. But yeah, oh, man. that was sad though, very sad. True, true, true. But folks, we're not here to talk about music. This is not a music podcast. That's right. It's, it's an incidental part of just the beginning of this show. We're here to sprout those fangs and, and <laughs> grow, grow grow even hair. more hair. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> you know, I, I by the way, folks, I have decided to edit. 
all jokes that I'm going to make, uh, regardless, the ones that Troy will have to listen to, I will try to keep away from your delicate ears <laughs> that uh, involve me talking about uh, ear hair growth, <laughs> uh, errant hairs being grown in mm. places on uh, mm. male bodies where they should not be and now suddenly are, uh, the, the defects of the aging male mm. body vis-a-vis hair growth in any way, shape, or form. So... Thank me now <laughs> and enjoy the show. It's interesting you say that because you realize if somebody did it, if you had a time-elapsed camera on you for your entire life, you would be a basically a universal <laughs> werewolf transformation, you know? <laughs> Trying to explain the strange bald spots yes, that appear. Yeah. It's like, why do you have this? Why do you get the, why, why, why on the top of the head? Is it suddenly the hair is awfully thin? I don't understand. Nevertheless, uh, folks, tonight, uh, Troy and I return to the 1940s Universal Horror Films to talk about what a lot of people refer to as the last great universal horror film. Um, I'm going to agree. exception. I, I'm going to agree and disagree with that. Mm. And uh, the most obvious disagreement is the one that's probably on the tip of your tongue. But that, that you may consider science fiction instead, which is Creature from the Black Lagoon. Correct, but it's, he's, the, creature from the, the, the creature is from the Black Lagoon. He's still considered part mm. of the Universal Monster set. And, but yeah. that was a full decade and a half later. Yes, it was. Yes, it so, was. I would say that this may be, okay, if you don't want to consider it part of the classic Universal cycle because it's too much later, then maybe you could make a... Then you, you could maybe say argument. this was the, the last, you know, the great... For a lot of people, and I think logically to a degree... The universal, you know, the, the the universal horror cycle begins in thirty one and ends in forty eight. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, with Abbott Costello meet Frankenstein. Yeah. Of course, there's some disagreement over that endpoint. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're going to include Abbott Costello meet Frankenstein, do you also have to include a couple more of the Abbott Costello yeah. meet movies? Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, there is that you know that three films that three film set of the Creature from the Black Lagoon yeah. in yeah. the fifties. That I think stand up pretty darn well, mm. uh, especially the first one. Oh and the third God. one, first one is yeah, great. But yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll go to the map for the third one as well. But um, last great one, I can see that argument. I can too. Uh, some very you know some very in, enjoyable and strong stuff came after it. But if you want to use the word great, you know that it may I could it may be the last of the great. Well, let's put it this way: one of the things that is repeatedly said when people talk about this movie is that. Although there are a lot of wonderful mm-hmm. universal horror films that come after this, a lot of enjoyable films. I mm-hmm. love Ghost of Frankenstein. I love mm-hmm. Frankenstein mm-hmm. the Wolfman. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love the the Monster Rally films. I, mm-hmm. I you know I get mm-hmm. a huge kick out of those movies, and I do love them. But no, they are definitely steps down from mm-hmm. this movie. That's that's clear. But I think but, you could also argue that this film is kind of a step up from some of the ones that came before it. I mean, it's almost like you know, it, it's, it's, it's better than the Invisible Ray. Sure. Let's yeah. let's let's yeah. Let's, yeah. let's let's call it let's call them yeah. straight. Uh, it's it's not better than the Raven or the Black Cat, no. or or in my opinion, it's not better than the Son of Frankenstein. Yeah. I'm just thinking of some of these early forty ones and ones that we've yeah. been going over as as much as we enjoyed some of them. Though it almost seemed like they won't, oh, yeah. it almost seemed like they suddenly bumped up to like you know took a step back took a step back a decade to the kind of care and seriousness that they put in those '30s films. And that seems to have been a conscious choice on mm-hmm. the producers uh, on the producers' mind to try to do that. Mm-hmm. And I think that's most evident in the detailed casting. But what I was getting at a moment ago was the the description of this film is that in a lot of ways it's the last universal film that was geared toward adults. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I can see that I can see in that a too. lot of different yeah, ways. I can do not just in uh, the most obvious ways, but in the, uh, the 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 detailed relationships that are built within the story that mm. aren't just you know filigree. Yeah, but are that actually built into the 
the the nature and thrust of how the story is told. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, with that, I completely agree. I think that this probably was. There are adult touches mm-hmm. in some of the later films. I'm al- I'm always impressed by some of the the darker, more adult elements of the two house films that mm-hmm. seem to always get overlooked because Man. of the because they are you know episodic yeah. films in the yeah. first place, and so that kind of in a lot of people's minds, you know. <laughs> It, it knocks them down a few steps, mm-hmm. and I understand that. But I I think that it is arguable that this is the last great one. Mm-hmm. But if you're gonna argue that it is not the last great one, mm-hmm. you're really gonna have to bring a lot of guns yeah. to bear on that argument because I think that it might be mm-hmm. the last great one. Mm-hmm. And uh, that doesn't mean I don't enjoy the rest of the films of the 1940s that they made. Yeah, but I don't think that things went fallow until suddenly we had the Creature from the Black Lagoon either. So yeah, yeah, no, no. But then again, would you consider Creature from the Black Lagoon adult in the same way that, say, this or the Black Cat or Frankenstein? I mean, those are those are films that you know I think of as geared more toward an adult audience. Yeah. But more, more than Creature, you think? No, no, that's just it. I don't know if Creature. Creature appeals on such an incredibly like, base level. Mm-hmm. There's something about Creature from the Black Lagoon. I mean, there are so mm-hmm. many people for whom that is mm-hmm. the favorite. Well, it's in my of top. Those it's, yeah, you're right. It's definitely at the towards yeah, the top. You yeah. know, would and, be in my top of the list too. I mean, as far as in the top three, four, five, whatever top and, five. And I think easily. about. I mean, there is a very, there is a a complex adult relationship. Uh, within the mm-hmm. structure of Creature from the Black Lagoon, mm-hmm. you have two men really vying yeah. for the attentions of Julie, Julie mm-hmm. Adams, and then of course enter a fourth mm-hmm. that a fourth you know the creature itself that seems to have that seems obviously to have designs on her yeah. for whatever reasons, mm-hmm. and then uh, huh? But I don't know that it's necessarily that that, that triangle you know rectangle is actually built necessarily within the structure of the story i don't know that it holds it up the way it does in the wolfman hmm. because the the the, the 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 relationships within the wolfman kind of build they, they kind of create a scaffolding for things that happen as the story goes along but eh, it's it's a good it's a good argument to have yeah. but creature of the black lagoon creature from the black lagoon creature from the black lagoon i'll say it eventually uh is the only one of the movies that comes after that i think that really stands up as, as yeah. being a competition for quote unquote an adult mm-hmm. film a so. film geared mm-hmm. to appeal to adults mm-hmm. it's 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 a good argument to have it's one mm-hmm. that we'll probably continue to have as we move forward because uh, most people even fans of these movies you know see the next few films in the monster series as uh, as uh, steps down, and to one degree they're right, but I'm going to argue all along the way that there are elements within each of those films mm-hmm. that I think stand up and are uh, darker than you might remember. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. uh, with that, I think that uh, we'll take a quick break, and then we will go- we're going to dive headlong into a discussion of 1941's The Wolfman. By the way, this is the last movie of 1941 for us. Oh, okay, wow. we move into 42 uh-huh. with the next movie. All right, cool. We're just trucking along. We are. We're <laughs> the, year for year. Almost at the blur at speed of light. You can hardly, yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll be we'll be we'll, we'll be at forty eight. We'll be in nineteen forty eight before we're dead. I swear. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, folks. We'll be back in a minute. Hey, I'm so glad you could make it. Welcome to my little podcast here. Bill watches movies. I'm Bill Mize. I'm the host and creator. And I'll be helping you today. 
Now, we're a podcast that's a little different from the other ones out there. We start off with a rich and aromatic blend of B-movie weirdness. Then we fold in some Hollywood history and biography. And finally, at the end, we sprinkle just a bit of old-time radio ambiance for that finishing touch. Now, we think that that unique combination will bring you an audio experience that you'll want to enjoy again and again. Each month, we'll serve up a story that will entertain you and bring a smile to your face. I do hope that you'll subscribe and try an episode. They're a wee bit naughty, but won't go directly to your waistline. Now, to learn even more, you can always go to our website, BillWatchesMovies.com, for show notes, blog posts, resources, and just general dorkitude. Now, I'm also on Twitter. Just search for Bill Watches Movies. I'm pretty easy to find, and I would absolutely love to hear from you. Thanks again for checking us out. Relax, enjoy the music, and then enjoy the show. Fellas, here's your story. Greetings, my friend. We are all interested in the future, for that is where you and I are going to spend the rest of our lives. And we cannot keep this a secret any longer. Wait, Captain. I have found evidence of intelligent beings on this planet. Look to the skies. It's the B-Movie Cookbook. Menus inspired by 15 of your favorite B-movies from the 1950s. With teenage werewolves, blobs, and enough cheese for everyone. When we return to our planet, the High Court may well sentence you to torture. But until then, we've got Ed Wood and Vincent Price. There'll be food and drink and ghosts, and perhaps even a few murders. You're all invited. So impress your friends with dinner and a movie. With the B-Movie Cookbook, we've got you covered. Get your copy today at bmoviecookbook.com. That's bmoviecookbook.com. Let me see that book. I am interested to see what sways your mind so heavily. Sure thing, just visit bmoviecookbook.com. Released on December 12th, 1941, The Wolfman, starring Lon Chaney Jr. as the titular character, and a host of fine actors, even in small roles yeah. in this movie. Amazing cast. Oh yes, this is an amazing cast. Which is just another sign of what we talked about, how they, they did seem to kind of feel they wanted to bump this one up a little bit, because the cast true, they assembled true. this is some really highly respected people. Um... They had about a. The, 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 this film was shot on about a one month schedule, from what I've read. It wrapped mm. in uh, late November and then was out a few weeks later. Mm-hmm. But did you know? Did you know the weird thing about the release of the film that the attack on Pearl Harbor on December seventh uh, sent shockwaves through the country? This is directly from the Universal Horrors book, mm-hmm. uh, and it was feared that the public's appetite for Hollywood's manufactured horrors would suffer. Uh, taking the hard line, Variety branded The Wolfman a dubious entertainment in light of grim world affairs. Happily for the studio, their reservations proved unfounded as The Wolfman became a top grocer despite the critics' middling reception. 
Uh, it does seem that mm. world events at the time yeah. did yeah. put a bit of a damper on at least some yeah. people's visions of wanting to go and see a monster movie. Mm. Uh, these days, I think it's pretty much considered a general rule to a degree mm. that escapism is exactly yeah. what people right. want in, right. in, in times of, of bad events and huge mm. world-shattering world mm. events. People want something to escape to. If you can mm. get a couple of hours away, mm. that's actually something that takes their minds off of the world around them. That's probably preferable. Mm-hmm. What's your history with this movie? When did you first see it? I would have seen it when I was really little. It's it's I cannot tell you which was which movie was my first exposure to Lon Chaney Jr. as Larry Talbot, to the Larry Talbot character, because I saw pretty much all of the Wolfman films except for, for some reason, House of Dracula. Uh for I don't know why, but that one did not make the rounds uh of the local television before I made my preteen years. But the all the rest of them did, you know, including Abbott Costello, you know, and House of Frankenstein, Frankenstein meets the Wolfman. So I don't really remember if this was my first time to see uh Larry Talbot or not. Uh but oh, okay. uh, yeah, but I did see it in during sometime during those first ten years. So yeah. Of course I saw these movies I, I, I of course grew up <laughs> quite deprived as far as television mm-hmm. viewing is concerned for these mm-hmm. films because of, mm-hmm. for whatever reason, mm-hmm. I grew up with Chattanooga being the nearby mm-hmm. city that generated the uh, mm-hmm. the channels that I saw. So I didn't see these, I didn't see any of these movies until mm-hmm. the advent of video. Mm-hmm. So these were all wow, VHS really? viewings. For wow. Me. Yeah. wow, I did not know that. I, all, I, I mean, I'm sure you said that before, but I, I did not realize that, yeah, yeah. because we had, the, we had an afternoon movie called The Big Show, which I was going like three o'clock and something, and they would have what they called Monster Week and and uh, that's where I saw the first, you know, most most first guy, most of the early Godzilla films I saw, and also the Universal yeah. stuff, you know, was and so and usually if they'd have that, they'd have, you know, Frankenstein meets the Wolfman, and so no, 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 the the few the few films that I ever saw, I mean, I, I have vivid memories of being at my aunt's house mm-hmm. in Alabama and reading that King Kong was going to be playing late at night and setting an alarm yeah. to get up to see King Kong. That's how I saw King Kong oh, as a yeah. kid. Cool. But a, lo- a lot of these Universal films, my first viewing was VHS tape. So mm-hmm. that's how that's how The Wolfman came to me. And, of course, at the time, I had no way to know what you know in what order they were made or anything right, like that. Yeah. My, my, the, same here, the only yeah. resource I had was like the Leonard Malton guide, which mm-hmm. would at least give you the year of release. Mm-hmm. But at the, at the same time, it's one of those things where you're just like, okay, I'm just grabbing them to see them because mm-hmm. you know the names, you know Frankenstein, mm-hmm. Dracula, mm-hmm. Mummy, you know all this kind of stuff. Yeah. And so uh, I, I saw all those things in a rush. Yeah. As a as a teenager, mm-hmm. just trying to see as many films as I could because uh, those are the days where you yeah. <laughs> you would take an entire weekend and just try to see, you know, oh, yeah. you just rent 10 movies and see <laughs> if you can make it all the way through them all. But uh, the, uh, the, the, the joys of uh, kind of catching them in random fashion, I think, is, mm-hmm. is, is fun. I mean, now that's kind of what I do with my, when I go back to rewatch these is I just, I, I, I want to see a specific, I, I want to see a specific film mm-hmm. for no good reason whatsoever other than I haven't seen it and it's not as fresh in my mind as some of the others. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the things, for instance, I don't return to Dracula and Frankenstein as often as I could because I saw them so many times mm-hmm. early on. So in the past 10 years, I go back to Ghost of Frankenstein, which mm-hmm. I didn't get to see very much, mm-hmm. and uh, the House films, which I didn't get to see very much. Mm-hmm. It's the uh, the more out the more out of sight, the Raven or Murders mm-hmm. in the Room Org. I'll go back to those because those just were not the ones that got mm-hmm. you know that that much play as far as being available and something that you pick up and run with. It was always the monster movies, the the named monster mm-hmm. movies that became much more obvious. Yeah. And so the Wolfman fit into that very easily. Mm-hmm. 
And of course, it also made it easy to uh, because of the short run times to squeeze more movies. Oh, into yeah, the absolutely, week. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. All right. Uh, once again, I think we're going to use uh, the Universal Horrors broad outline of the film to uh, use as a jumping off point for the discussion of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, the opening scenes of the film are uh, Larry Talbot, the second son of a titled European family, returns to his ancestral estate nestled on the outskirts of a small Welsh village. With the death of his elder brother, young Talbot stands to claim his rightful place in the family hierarchy. This sad state of affairs does not go unnoticed by his father, Sir John, played by the great Claude Rains, who nevertheless greets his son warmly after his 15-year absence. Now, I have a couple of bones to pick with this film, and some of them are weird, but this one stands one of them. <laughs> out. One of them is something they try to build into the story mm-hmm but that I still have a couple of problems with. Years ago, I stated in print something that I now feel less strongly about, but I still have very strong nits to pick. They build the story in such a way so that the very American Lon Chaney, mm-hmm. who's clearly a foot taller than oh, Claude yeah. Rains. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> I really want to see his mother. And that's what, that's, what, that's kind of what you always have to tell yourself. Is obviously, Larry took after his mom. <laughs> I, we're, we're hoping so. Anyway... <laughs> The 15-year absence, in other words, the 15 years of living in mm-hmm. America mm-hmm. as the second son who wasn't going to inherit mm. is supposed to be our in for accepting Lon Chaney Jr. or Crichton Chaney mm. as uh, the son of an English lord, mm-hmm. which I find is, is always a bit difficult for me. It is. I mean, I know what you mean. It is yeah. it is tough to get, you know, to see these two guys, no matter how good the actors are or how good they just to see these yeah. two guys as <laughs> father and son. It's a stretch. Mm. It's a standard cinema stretch. Mm-hmm. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> now, let me ask you, do you remember, I mean, why a lot of this happened? Because of what the original script. Do you remember what the yes. original intention yeah. was for the original, character? The original intention was that the character that Lon Chaney plays was not to be his son. He right. was a technician mm-hmm. that was coming over from America to help install this telescope. Yeah. That was the original script. Mm-hmm. And they decide, and it was decided that it needed there needed to be a, a much better reason for him to be involved in the things he's involved in. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think very, very smartly, mm-hmm. Kurt Siotomak's script mm-hmm. built a family relation mm-hmm. between the two characters and a believable one. At least, you know, from 30,000 feet, that's, that is a great idea. Mm-hmm. This man decided, and uh, I can't remember at this point whether it was the death of the mother but that was the death of the eldest son. No, 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 no. Oh, you mean that? Oh, you mean the Yeah, that instigated the fifteen-year, you know, the, 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 the move away fifteen years. Are ago. Are we ever really told? I can't remember. I almost now. feel like they terrible. don't ever really address it. Uh, I mean, because the mother's obviously absent. right, right, yes, yeah. yes. And I, there's never they never bring her up. She's never mentioned in yeah. the dialogue. But yeah. you know, the the absence speaks volumes if if not if not yeah. you know specified mm-hmm. so i've often wondered if uh, well first of all what is the age that lon chaney's character is supposed to be in the film and my feeling mm-hmm. has always been roughly mm-hmm. mid to late 30s mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's what we're aiming for here mm-hmm. regardless mm-hmm. of the actor's actual age that's what i'm assuming we're, we're aiming yeah. for so we're talking 35 to 38 maybe mm-hmm. so we're talking about Leaving home around, say, early 20s, mm-hmm. and now returning. Mm-hmm. So one of the problems that, that brings up is by that time, by that guess, um, I, hate, I hate to say this, but I know a lot of people who grew up in the UK mm-hmm. 
And that accent sticks around forever. No, well, sure. Yeah. There's somebody who lives here. A friend yeah. of mine that's been here since the early 80s that, you know, has our, and he still talks an English accent. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, the way they tried it, the, the, one of the problems I have with this movie is flat out mm-hmm. the way Lon Chaney delivers the dialogue because mm-hmm. he's just, it's just him. Mm-hmm. He's not trying to affect an accent. Mm-hmm. Which is probably smart. No, I was going to say they might not have gone he, real yeah, well. He, he never. He, he's never. I've never seen any evidence of him being able to affect a, an accent that did not sound really bizarre. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was one film uh, later on in the sixties. Uh, oh no, no, uh, the Haunted Palace. He oh, affects yeah, a right. bit. Of, he he affects yeah. a bit of an accent, and yeah. boy, does it not <laughs> ever work ever. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. probably a smart a smart choice to not do that. But at the same time, what they do is they're trying to aim for. What I would refer to nowadays, insultingly, as the uh, Robin Hood, Kevin Costner character, <laughs> mid-Atlantic yeah. mm-hmm. choice, mm-hmm. which is to essentially sprinkle his dialogue with a few choice English, mm-hmm. quote-unquote, you know, in inverted mm-hmm. dick commas, mm-hmm. uh, English mm-hmm. expressions, yeah. and just hope for the fucking best. <laughs> Well, it doesn't always work. Mm. It works when I can forget that that's what we're really looking at. Mm. But a lot of the time, and I mean a lot of the time, and I'm sure that I'm going to be screamed at as a heretic, but a lot of the time, Lon Chaney's performance, his delivery of the dialogue, his physical performance is absolutely fantastic. Don't get me wrong. His physical performance nails it. He's great in in that respect, except for one scene scene that I'll bring up later, Mm. and I'm going to blame the director for that. Mm -hmm. But... His delivery of a lot of the dialogue is artificial, not just in the use of the word chap or old fellow or things of this nature, which just don't sound right coming from him, but also in his constant need to pronounce every syllable fully as if he's being coached. Mm -hmm. He may have been, I don't know, Mm -hmm. as if he was being coached Mm -hmm. to make sure he pronounced every syllable fully. Exactly. Don't mm. ever round off the end of a word. Don't ever mm. drop a G. Yeah. None of that. And so it sounds sometimes very artificial, especially if mm. I notice it and then he says mm. chap. Mm-hmm. And so I never can buy him as anyone who has ever set foot in England in his entire life. <laughs> and them trying yeah. to, and, it, and them sprinkling those words in mm-hmm. his dialogue, mm-hmm. in my opinion, is a mistake. Now it's a minor mistake, yeah. but it is one that really irks me, <laughs> and it, it it twinges on my ear, and it's really weird for me because yeah. I'm I famously cannot tell the, the when when a film is dubbed I cannot yeah. tell uh-huh. from one film to another that that's the same voice. I'm, I I, I mm-hmm. it's it's a, it's something lacking in me, but in this case, mm-hmm. listening to those words being pronounced in that way, it draws attention to itself for me, mm-hmm. and then the choice of Sprinkling his dialogue with those words, you know, the old fellow and chap. It's like, no, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't, huh. don't do that. So it doesn't feel like he's someone who spent the first two decade, two decades of his life in England, mm-hmm. and then fifteen years in America. It feels like someone who spent fifteen minutes in England <laughs> and thirty-five years yeah. in America. So that that's is that's my that's my nit to pick with huh. with that. Well, I've never, I mean, I'll have to be honest, I've never noticed any, I mean, obviously I've noticed 
the fact that he doesn't speak with an English accent, and obviously yeah. I've noticed the the disparity and resemblance between. <laughs> I th- am I right that maybe he was actually even older than Claude Rains and that the acting possibly was him? No, that's not possible. There's just no way that's true. But like yeah. I like I say, you know, I've definitely noticed that stuff before. But yeah. what you're the things you're talking about dialogue wise, I, I yeah, honestly, I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying that I've literally never noticed it before. It's never been a it's never been something that's even twinged in my. Uh, I feel I think he's. I think his character is is obviously awkward and is is trying to ingratiate yes, yes. himself with. And I guess maybe some of the things you're talking about dialogue was just kind of always struck me as somebody trying to be easygoing and and ingratiate and himself and after, and, when yeah. he's really not when he's really caring a lot. Which is a natural a natural yeah. thing to expect or to hmm. think hmm. because the whole idea is to you know by having that 15 years hmm. in back in the background of him being out of the country. Hmm. That's an attempt to give us a reason for this very American guy mm-hmm. to be the son of an English lord, and and, and, and that's that's as good a shot you, as you mm-hmm. can take at it. But it would be easier to take. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> okay, let me let me mm-hmm. preface this with with one of my favorite genius bits of casting in a in a, in a film. Mm-hmm. I never noticed it until it was pointed out to me. But in the film Spartacus, mm-hmm. all of the slaves are Americans. Hmm. And all of the Roman aristocrats are British. Okay. And that was done intentionally hmm. so that there was a distinct difference hmm. in how they sounded. Hmm. It was not just a separation of class. The the, the sounds you heard hmm. separated them automatically in your head. Hmm. So when... You start se- when you start noticing that in casting, mm. if you if it, if it ever twinges in your head, it, well, first of all, it makes you appreciate Spartacus even more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But because that much care was taken, but yeah. in this, we're really supposed to have one American, and he stands out, mm-hmm. and that's kind of the point. That Jadamac mm. was smart enough to craft the screenplay in such a way mm-hmm. for that to work. The problem is he's not the only American in the film. That's and true. the Amer- the other Americans in the film also aren't working to hide their American accent. So you have Ralph Bellamy yeah. sounding, well, let's just say not British. Right. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then you have uh, Patrick Knowles, who is British, mm-hmm. but seems to have eliminated mm-hmm. a whole lot of his British accent. <laughs> mm-hmm. As if he was trying to like, since a lot of his scenes, you know, play, mm-hmm. kind of play up against... These, these other characters it's as if he's uh, straddling some kind of middle road and so there's this mixture of accents within this thing that draw attention to themselves rather mm-hmm. than delineating see if everybody else had a British accent mm-hmm. or you know, some, t- some type of accent other than an American accent mm-hmm. and Larry Talbert didn't say chap and old fellow mm-hmm. then it would mark itself better as a matter of fact I would almost feel more comfortable mm-hmm. if they had built 20 years, if it wasn't 15 years, but like 20 years that he'd been out of the country, then you're getting to the point where, okay, mm-hmm. it goes it goes against what I already know, but mm-hmm. okay, yeah. let, we'll let it fly. But they're trying to have it both ways. They're trying to have him as someone who still has these English idiosyncratic yeah. vocalisms, these terms and words that he will occasionally drop into his dialogue. Mm-hmm. But, boy, he sure sounds like he's from the Midwest, don't he? <laughs> well... I think that I see what you're saying. I think maybe another reason that it, it didn't really, it's never really struck me, or, or that that's been and an, an something that that stood out to me or that I noticed was that 
you know, you talked about the being in set in, in that this supposed to be set in Wales, but they really yeah. don't say that much in the film. I mean, it's like no, the, apparently the original script had it mentioned quite a bit. By the time they got around to filming it, they rarely ever say specifically where they're at. And so I guess to me, a lot of these films, particularly from the 30s and 40s, we talked about it before, is this kind of existing universal land, you know? <laughs> yes. It's like this kind of, you know, that, that's always this Agreed. sort of nebulous world where people drive motor cars, but then like gypsies, you know, are out in the, know. you know, and there's all these like strange mix of years and cultures and, and it's never, you know, it's always kind of this feel. So I guess I could have get in that mode when I watch the films that it's almost like all taking place in sort of a, you know, kind well, of a, and here's, a, here's another thing. Fairy tale land, you know. I didn't kind of find a, this addressed any, anywhere yeah. and I've always wondered this. Um, before this, mm-hmm. the you know uh, modern uh, modern uh, vehicles and things slowly crept into mm-hmm. the Frankenstein movies, mm-hmm. right? Uh, so it becomes something where it's like, well, this has to be in the 20th century, right? Yeah. yeah. But there's so much overlap of detail mm-hmm. in those movies, in almost all those 30s movies, yeah. where it feels like, I mean, like the Black Cat's definitely post World War One, yeah. But that's you know, yeah. the Raven is definitely post World War One, mm-hmm. but. When's Frankenstein taking yeah, place? Yeah, When's yeah. Dracula taking place? Uh-huh. When you know when are these movies happening? Mm-hmm. Whereas, if you're going to have a character who has been living across the Atlantic Ocean for 15, for fifteen years, mm-hmm. well, then it it's, mm-hmm. it's it's a lot easier to update mm-hmm. it to the 20th century, where it's mm-hmm. like, well, he could have flown, he could have taken a crew, yeah, he could have right, taken a right. ship. It's not yeah. it's not this thing where see, we, yeah. we had to char- <laughs> we had to charter something with sails to get his happy ass <laughs> exactly. back over here. Yeah, yeah. And it may have taken six months or something. <laughs> yeah. So I I almost feel like they kind of had to with this film yeah. set it in the 20th century. Yeah. yeah. So they and I think they kind of. In a way, they wanted to make sure they were setting themselves as, "Hey, this is 1941," hmm. because the opening scene, he's yeah. in a car. Yeah, yeah. He's being right. driven up, and you have that. That I, I still, I love that fantastic model of of the castle. Oh yeah, I mean, oh, it's, yeah. So, it's, it's so just, obvious, yeah. so yeah, obviously it's, a model. But it's, yeah, but exactly. I freaking, I freaking <laughs> love it. It's my yeah. favorite kind of fake yeah. thing. Oh yeah. yeah, where it's obvious that it's fake, but so much detail yeah. and beauty is done. Oh, it's so, oh, I just, mm-hmm. I, I, I eat it up. Yeah. I can watch that. I, I literally, <laughs> the Blu-ray just paused it. Mm-hmm. Oh, mm-hmm. look at it. Oh, it's so beautiful. Yeah. Fake as hell, and I don't care. It's beautiful. You know? Well, you can say that whole thing about the forest, the incredible forest that they oh, used through ninety percent of the film. That's just just an incredible <laughs> use of. Uh, I'll go ahead and say it. Okay, first of all, let's talk about the fog. You know, I got to talk the fog. Do, the, yeah, the Gwen, Gwenometer. Do it. Do fog, it. You know, and this may have. This is probably one of the earliest films that kind of you know sparked my love of or kind of association oh, yeah. of just how much of loving to see. Yeah. Fog in films, and there's so much of it in here. It's a wonder it's not even inside the, you know, inside the Talbot estate. This would there. be so, this would be the this would be two of the first films I ever paid really yeah. close attention to. The fog in this film mm-hmm. definitely because of all the all that ground fog mm-hmm. and uh, that that great film from the early '60s, Horror Hotel. Mm-hmm. Uh, where the fog oh, seems God, alive, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Uh, but yeah, yeah, you're right. But, the the fog in this is is, is an amazing, just an amazing. Of course, they you know they, they, hear it. go ahead. They're they're using it to hide detail. They, oh, sure, they exactly. Yeah. Out. We're yeah. we're doing yeah. we're using yeah. this to hide detail. And they use, it's like, you yeah. know, and there's there's anecdotes from you know that fog was pretty tough on some of the actors that had to yes. crew that had to work in it all day long. That but, shit was awful. Oh, God, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was just, but it looks so great. And that forest, I mean, if if, if once you when you you don't think about it as a kid, of course, but now you know how just how few trees they actually had to work with. Yeah, and the fact that they moved those trees around so much and filmed it from so many angles and managed to convey this 
sense of a huge forest is pretty amazing. It's still one of the most amazing sets I think I've ever well, seen it, in the universe. Well, it's also one of those things that this is another mm-hmm. little weird detail. Yeah. Okay, so we have all those shots that take place outside that aren't in the creepy forest area. Right, okay? yeah, yeah. Where you see trees. Mm-hmm. Like, even in the opening scene, you see mm-hmm. trees, and mm-hmm. those trees have the thing that trees are supposed to have, which are, what are those things called? The the things that fall off leaves. <laughs> yeah. That's what it is, yeah. leaves. Yeah. And yet, nearly <laughs> one of these damn trees got a leaf on them. And right. the only time there's a leaf anywhere uh-huh. is when they're using the leaves to cover up the bear traps. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, like, it's something, it's like, watch, I've watched this film far too many yeah. times because it's like, well, they clearly have normal trees wherever this takes place. We've seen them in yeah, other in yeah. other sections of the movie. It just appears that just not in Talbot the here, forest. Talbot Castle is apparently. Where, like it's is like, it? Is it? Did the gypsies kill all the leaves? <laughs> Are the trees dead because the gypsies camped there? Is there a lot of urine going on here? What's happening? I don't understand. They just instantly die the minute Larry Talbot comes into town. <laughs> <laughs> it's a portent. You know, so. Yes, it's a sign and a portent. The, the trees have died and the leaves have disappeared. Oh, good afternoon, sir. May I help you? Why, yes, sir. I'm looking for a gift, something in earrings. Certainly. We have some very nice ones. There's these uh, diamond ones. They're very smart. Uh, how about these pearl ones? No, I don't think any of those will do. What I'm really looking for is uh, something half moon shaped with spangles on it, golden. Oh, I'm sorry. We haven't any like that just now. Oh, yes, you have. Don't you remember? On your dressing table up in your room. In my room? Yes. Would you mind getting them for me? Well, but were they not for sale? Well, I can't say that I blame you. They look so well on you. Well, uh, perhaps my father can help you. I'll call him. No, no, that won't be necessary. As uh, long as I can't have the earrings, perhaps I'd, I'll buy a cane, huh? Tell me, how did you know about the earrings in my room? Oh, I'm psychic. Every time I see a beautiful girl, I know all about it. Just like that. Um, well, what kind of cane would you like? We have a day wear or evening wear? Oh, it doesn't matter. This one, that's very smart. Solid gold top. No, I don't think that'll do. Well, how about the little dog? That would suit you. No, thanks. Well, there's one. Make a good putter. <laughs> yes, it would. That's funny. Another dog. <laughs> no, that's a wolf. A wolf? A wolf and a star. What does that mean? I thought you said you were psychic. Oh, I am. But this is only wood and silver, and it hasn't blue eyes. Well, uh, that stick is priced at three pounds. Three pounds? Fifteen dollars for an old stick? Well, that's a very rare piece. It shows the wolf in the pentagram, the sign of the werewolf. Werewolf? What's that? Well, that's a human being who at certain times of the year changes into a wolf. You mean runs around on all fours and bites and snaps and bays at the moon? Oh, even worse than that sometimes. To return to the synopsis for just a moment. Yeah. (laughs) uh, After after, uh, Lawrence or Larry helps. That's another thing that tells you that he's too American. It's Larry instead of Lawrence. Larry, uh-huh. <laughs> as soon as you go to Larry, it's like, yeah. I'm pretty sure he's yeah. not British in any way, no. shape, or form. He definitely be. not Welsh. <laughs> no. So, uh, so anyway, 
he helps his father install uh, his new telescope, which is uh, an interesting thing that comes to nothing yeah. in this movie. <laughs> the telescope, the whole telescope thing is introduced. It, it's a holdover from the original script idea. Yeah, yeah it's, which, it is. And then obviously it already purchased the prop or they had it set up or something. Yeah. They're just like... Okay, uh, let's we build this in. So this will be the yeah. thing where he demonstrates yeah. that he can actually, like, you know, turn a screw or something. Because when know. you see it, you think they're at least going to tie it into the moon in some way, or looking at the yeah, moon, which, of no course, the moon, there's no moon in there. So instead, they just have him be a perv and, like, peep in on, on <laughs> yes. you know. At first, they peeps in on the, and I love the, the fact that people always point out that it's it's the first thing you look at the telescope, it's an impossible angle that he has on the, yes, you know, <laughs> on the street. But, you know, but yeah. <laughs> so he uses it to, to do a little bit of a... Uh, Peeping Toms. Do a little x-ray through yeah. tree yeah. lines. Uh-huh. And, and, you know, and, yeah. and, anyway. So Larry takes a liking, after spotting her through the freaking telescope, takes Gwen, a liking to Gwen Village Con- Girl, yeah. Wynne Conliffe, played by the ever-lovely uh, Evelyn Ankers. Yes. Uh, despite her engagement to Frank Andrews, who's uh, played by Patrick Knowles, yeah. uh, Gwen keeps a date with Talbot that night. Um, I just want to state right out front that I've always felt a little uncomfortable with Stalker Larry, he's he's he's, he's, he's way too freaking um, pushy. It's he screams American, you know, mm-hmm. wolf mm-hmm. Uh, to to not be too yeah. obvious about it. Yeah. If that was the idea, mm-hmm. was to paint him as the quote unquote wolf. Mm-hmm. This scene does it, but at the same time, it's like there. Every time I watch this scene, every time mm. I watch this movie, I mm. seriously, I want to be the guy who steps into the scene and goes, hey man, back the fuck off of her. Leave this poor lady alone. Let her fucking breathe. But I, I understand the point of the scene, mm. but it's still, it's too, it's a, yeah. just, it's a little over the line for me. And I know we're having to work fast in the time that's allotted, you know, to yeah. the movie, through the film, but she, her attachment to him certainly grows rather yeah. quickly, especially the point where, you know, he's, Telling her all the people he thinks he's killed, and so he's going to leave town. And she's like fighting her father to be able to go with him. Like, really, girl? Why you? Why? Why exactly you want to to follow I, crazy, deranged, murderous Larry? Out the- I, I agree. I agree. It's too much and it's too quick. And yeah. there's a part of me mm. that wishes that somebody at some point, whether mm. her father or mm. one of those catty, bitchy women in the, right. in the in the in the town, yeah, had made some snide comment that always goes through my head. Mm. About of questioning her mm. motives for mm. this supposed infatuation with Larry, yeah. uh, and with it, whether or not it had to do with the fact that he's going to inherit a shit ton of money and land. <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to say more. No. Just like, are you really just not that happy with his your engagement? And you're no, no, like, no. And there's it. part of that too. But also, mm. I mean, let's mm. not let's not mm. discount you know climbing mm. the ladder here. And we're talking mm. about a guy who is yeah. Born, he's to the manner born. He's gonna be wealthy. Yeah, yeah. And I, the fact, I, I wonder mm. why. I mean, I, I don't know. if Maybe they filmed something like that because those those women are just ripping Larry to shreds verbally. Mm. And it's like, where's the comment about mm-hmm. the Evelyn Anchors character and possibly being a gold digger? Where's that? Yeah. Because it we'll seems a that. natural. Mm. It seems a natural outgrowth mm. of their antagonism toward him. So, mm. nevertheless, uh, taking along her friend Jenny Williams, who's played by the great Faye Helm. Uh, we could do a podcast about Faye Helm, but we mm-hmm. will not tonight. Uh, Gwen accompanies Larry to a nearby gypsy camp. Uh, Jenny volunteers to have her fortune told by Bella the Gypsy, who, strangely enough, is played by Bella, Bella Lugosi. Lugosi. Yeah. Now, Bella the Gypsy reacts violently to the woman's bouquet of wolf's bane that she picked along the way mm-hmm. underneath one of the dead trees. Uh, peering into mm-hmm. the palm of Jenny's right hand, Bella sees the pentagram, the five-pointed star, Marking her for death at the hands of a werewolf. Now, let's take note of the fact that the device of the werewolf seeing 
a pentagram in the palm of the hand of a future victim of that werewolf is dropped completely for the every every sequel to this movie. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's kind never of, yeah. used again. Mm-hmm. And uh, I would like to point out that mm-hmm. similarly, mm-hmm. that 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 device is used once mm-hmm. in a Paul Nashy Valdemar Donetsky film, and then dropped like a fucking hot rock <laughs> because. Mm-hmm. It makes no goddamn sense. <laughs> yeah. It well. makes no sense. <laughs> I understand the supernatural element of it and mm. the idea that that might be what they're aiming for is mm. this this horrible you know, mm. this horrible curse mm. being a supernatural curse in the first place. Yeah, ad- adding this this bit of torture to the poor cursed being mm-hmm. is just is just another thing. But here's the thing: if they were going to do that, if they were going to retain that. Mm. This is what I wish had happened. Mm-hmm. And it could have carried forward into the, into the sequels as well if they wanted to. So the werewolf sees the pentagram and and realizes, oh my God, I'm destined to murder this person. Mm-hmm. Okay. We, we establish in this film mm-hmm. that there's no rhyme or reason to the person changing into a werewolf. Clearly, Bella the werewolf has some kind of control because he travels with this group of gypsies mm-hmm. and he's not wolfing out every fucking night and murdering somebody. So mm-hmm. some way or another, probably the Maleva character, uh, Maria Ospenskaya's uh, mm-hmm. character, has probably found some way, maybe one of those mm-hmm. talismans that mm-hmm. she gives Larry later on, to control Bella's you know, lycanthropy problem. But... The spot if they had used the the spotting of the the pentagram on someone to 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 realize oh my god that means no, somehow or another I'm going to change soon and this person is going to be killed by me that mm-hmm. is a really wonderful thing because remember this movie establishes absolutely no freaking connection between turning into a werewolf and the full moon right. that is yeah, not in this movie yeah, it absolutely. is not there mm-hmm. so if the idea had been if it had been carried forward to Link the, the 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 seeing of a pentagram on someone with the actual with the transformation. actual transformation. Mm. In other words, that mm. means that you're not going to be able to control the transformation, mm. or no. or that that's the key to the transformation mm. happening mm-hmm. probably that night. Mm-hmm. That would be wonderful because then when you segue into the idea that a werewolf always knows when he's going to be a werewolf, he's going to be a werewolf on the night of the full moon. Mm. So those three nights of the month. Guess what? You lock yeah. the son of a bitch in a cell yeah. somewhere, right. and then yeah. nobody yeah. gets hurt. Uh-huh. But if it's more random, instead that you right. don't know, in other words, he's going to run it, across. Yeah, exactly. And I've never seen a movie try that. I've never yeah. seen a movie lean on that yeah. idea. But it seems like it would be so much more horrific mm-hmm. for the for the werewolf transformation to be something that you literally know you never know when it's going to strike, and the only warning you get. Is hmm. that kind of sighting that thing yeah. that only the werewolf mm-hmm. can see, mm-hmm. and that and the, the the dread that would come over the character because now it's happening. They may not they may not have transformed for years, and suddenly, boom, mm-hmm. it happens. Mm-hmm. That to me would have been such an amazing way to carry forward the the kind of larger werewolf legend instead of the way we go, which is to link it to the full moon cycle. Mm-hmm. Now, don't get me wrong. The full moon cycle. I mean, it's great. It's it's yeah. it's a cinematic trope. Now, it's something that's sure. never going to go away. Sure. It's, and even when it's badly handled, <laughs> it's still you know it lays down the rules. Right, you know right, what right. the rules of a yeah. werewolf are. Even even in the films where there seems like there's suddenly like a whole week's worth of <laughs> oh, full yes, moons, as we know those films. So yes, yeah, <laughs> like how much time has passed by? <laughs> yeah. How did we get to this? Is like the eighty <laughs> fifth yeah, yeah. night of the full moon. <laughs> yeah. How are we there again? So yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's 
it seems a, a path. This is the this is the dividing point because it's after this that they set up the whole full moon. Thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The next film suddenly it it's got it's yeah. it's uncontrollable mm-hmm. under the light of the full moon the werewolf changes that's yeah. just the way it is except usually not until they look up and see that it's the full moon that's one <laughs> always kills me too is the whole uh, yeah. okay so you're just camped out on the moon here forever but then you look up and oh my god it's the full moon and suddenly i'm you know it's like well just don't look at the moon dude it seemed like you're fine it's like that things. thing i despised about that fucking von helsing movie it's like the, the moon goes behind clouds and suddenly he's not a werewolf anymore. Yeah. it's like how the what <laughs> that doesn't change the the, the, the the fucking moon's pull on the tides much less on a human being what are you yeah. doing uh, and, and nevertheless <laughs> That's that is uh, it's, it's not I, I don't I don't call it a problem with the movie it's just a path yeah. not taken that I yeah. think because and it, and it draws attention to itself the more you look at the whole series of films mm-hmm. because the whole pentagram and spotting the pentagram thing that gets dropped like a like a yeah. rock it's yeah. never talked about again and it's one of those things where okay uh, it, it, it's an interesting idea in this movie that mm-hmm. then never gets picked up and mm-hmm. run with yeah. but what it gets replaced with is something that you know it would be, it would just be it seems like it would be much much creepier mm-hmm. for that curse to affect that if yeah, affects the, the cursed yeah, person in that point. way yeah. that it is so random mm-hmm. that it's something you could live with for years and years and then just out of nowhere it asserts itself and yeah. you are you know you're doomed to murder someone well this film is a great example of a film that you know you love so much and yet man if you look too closely at a lot of it there's just a lot of odd continuity and weird questions True. that True. it that it raises and bella bella the character bella presents several several problems yeah, you true. know um you know that that if you want to you know like why 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 is he why is his form a, a, a dog form and not, you know, and, you, you know, and whereas Lon Chaney's is a human form. And you, if you look at that, you can come up with all sorts of explanations. You can say maybe because he's been a werewolf, maybe the longer you're a werewolf, eventually you begin to take on the dog form of the wolf rather well, than that's the, a good idea. I, didn't, like, I, I never thought if about you that. Think, but see, we think about these kind of things because we're geeks and we're monster kids. And, yeah, and, yeah. and as I've often... As I've often felt about these films, you know, if these films were perfect, we wouldn't love them so much. You know, it's, 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 it's you know what I mean? It's, 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 it's those things yeah, that we love to right, speculate, right. talk about, trying to explain away. Uh, I, I saw it brought up, uh, I've seen it brought up before that I had not thought about in all the years I watched this movie was that Beliva gives Larry Talbot the, the necklace to wear to, you know, to yeah. protect him. And the question is, why the hell didn't you give it to her son then? You know, the well, see, that's, my, that's so, my question is, I mean, there's it, these, but down, if you go down uh-huh. my, my path yeah. of not linking everything to a full moon, right, right. Yeah. She's found some way mm-hmm. to protect him, to keep him from transforming. Maybe. Mm-hmm. And it could be something as simple as the necklace that she gives to Talbot. Mm-hmm. But it, if it were something else, mm-hmm. and if we could have just kept that whole, the randomness of the curse. Mm-hmm. So, because the feeling I've always gotten from uh, Bella the Gypsy's reaction to seeing the pentagram in uh, Fahelm's hand is, or in Je- the character Jenny's hand, is um, absolute horror. He's 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 really terrified, and it seems as if he was not expecting this. This mm-hmm. seems to have come completely mm-hmm. like a bolt out of the blue, <clears throat> no. and so. If it were the random, if it were a random thing instead of something that you could predict, I think that it would work. Mm-hmm. Like I say, there are a lot of unanswered questions that mm-hmm. could have been answered in a, in a line of yeah. dialogue easily. Yeah. About how she, you know, she found a way to to keep the lycanthropy under control in her son mm-hmm. for you know for whatever mm-hmm. for however, and 
this is it and hold up the necklace and say, mm-hmm. you need to wear this and you yeah. need to believe me and yeah. you need to, you know. And it also could, you know, explain, you know, later uh, when the gypsies are all packing up their camp in a hurry and, and they say, yeah. he says, why are you leaving? He says, there's a wolf in the camp. And, you know, you're thinking, well, you traveled with a wolf for years, but that would also, if you could explain it that way, that he was able to. That he was under control. Control. That's why they didn't fear it. Is they know they have an uncontrolled, uncontrolled wolf yeah. in their camp suddenly. You and know? See, that makes that scene make sense, too, because it's yeah. like, oh, shit. Yeah. We, we thought, mm. see, it also adds to, okay, when Bella is being laid to rest, mm-hmm. there is, uh, there's a, there's that dialogue as they, for some reason, bring his coffin mm-hmm. into the, into that chapel mm-hmm. and place it down. And, um, there's some dialogue about the weird gypsy funeral rites where there's mm-hmm. going to be dancing and it's a party mm-hmm. and, there's always a part of me that kept waiting for the lines of dialogue from the gypsies off to themselves, explaining why this was a party. Yeah. Because this was someone who was under a curse and now no longer mm-hmm. has to, he's no longer under the curse. In other words, this is a celebration of him finally being free from the curse. But we don't see any of that. We don't see this, you know, the, the describing, you know, dancing and all this kind of, they, they, we, don't, we never see that. And I don't think that the script may have ever intended for that to be a scene being shot. Mm-hmm. But once again, that would point toward them knowing and also knowing that he's under control. Mm-hmm. So part of the celebration would be not just that this man's curse is over, but also that that worry, that background yeah. hum of a worry amongst yeah. the gypsies is now gone. It's over. Yeah. Yeah. But sadly, mm-hmm. that's not something, that's a, that's another thread that's not teased out. Mm-hmm. And I really wish it had been because yeah. that would add even more detail and flavor to this and make sense because that means for a few days, those gypsies would have been under the belief that wow, we, we that, that's a concern. Those back, yeah. that background hunt that we don't have to worry about again. Yeah. We don't have to worry about this. And then suddenly, yeah. oh shit! Yeah, right. There's yeah. another one. Yeah, and uh, which would definitely explain <laughs> pulling up stakes and getting the hell out of dodge. Yeah, but um, we don't. Once again, just another mm. path the film does not take. Sadly. Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Matter. Can't tell you anything tonight. Come back tomorrow. What did you see? Something evil? No, no. Now go away. Go quickly. Go! transforms from a man into a beast and takes place but that takes place off camera so we're not shown we're not shown that at all uh jenny's screams fill the air as larry charging to her rescue desperately tries to pull away the wolf hovering hungrily over her body this is the bella wolf the four-legged wolf right using his newly purchased silver tip walking stick which of course the walking stick is one of the Mm. most famous Mm. bits of uh, bits of uh of uh Movie memorabilia that I think anybody could ever get their hands on. Yeah, Bob Burns. What a prop. Yes, what yes, a prop. Yeah, right. Uh, but he, he uses this silver tip walking stick. He beats the living shit out of this, <laughs> this poor dog or wolf yeah. or whatever we're going to call it, uh, uh, killing it. Uh, but is bitten in the struggle, bitten on the, the chest. Mm-hmm. Did you find it weird that there's so many people who get a look at this scar on his chest and yet for some reason they just couldn't show it to us? 
Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, that's kind of once again uh-huh. referencing the mm-hmm. the Paul Nashy werewolf yeah. films is like the scarring is always prevalent. That's mm-hmm. always mm-hmm. An, that outward sign of yeah. the inward curse. I mean yeah. that that's what the, and that's what it kind of should be here too. But we, I mean, mm-hmm. <laughs> like I button his shirt and it's mm-hmm. like, yeah, we're we're way over here. We don't we mm-hmm. don't know what they're actually looking at until somebody <laughs> says something. Is there something there? <laughs> oh, it's healed up really quickly. That's really weird. It's like, well, show the fucking thing to us so we know. <laughs> anyway. How much? How much time does it take to film an insert yeah, of this right. man's chest Here with a fake scar on it? Let's yeah. try that. Anyway, so investigating officer Paul uh, Paul Montfort, Captain Paul Montfort, mm-hmm. who's played by Ralph Bellamy, mm-hmm. fails to turn up the carcass of the wolf. Instead, he finds Bella's bludgeoned body at the scene, and of course, Bella has no no shoes on. But is fully dressed. <laughs> well, <laughs> which adds, yeah, yeah. Don't get me wrong. I don't, I don't, I don't need to see Bella Lugosi's ass, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. hairy or not. <laughs> but at the same time, yeah. it does. This is a this is an ongoing conversation oh, about sure, werewolf transformations sure. in this movie and the removal of clothing. Yes, or the adding of clothing. You know, it's yes, like, yes. When you're, yes, I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, Paul, uh, the, the captain uh, questions Larry, whose wounds suffered in his fight with the beast have strangely disappeared. Mm-hmm. Soon, word that Larry has killed Bella sweeps through the village. His relationship with Gwen too raises eyebrows. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the more adult elements of this story is that. Uh, Gwen's character, uh, Evelyn Anker's character, is betrothed. She mm-hmm. uh, is engaged mm-hmm. to Patrick Knowles' character. But she seems to be making googly eyes at mm-hmm. the rich man. I'm sorry, at uh, Henry yeah, Talbert. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, I can't, I can't, I can't yeah, get away from that aspect yeah. of the story that should be there and isn't. Uh, so these cutting eyes and all these, all these uh, sideways glances that Larry continues to get throughout the rest of the story... Some of that is very evidently something to do with this relationship mm-hmm. with her being so uncouth or so, mm-hmm. uh, shall we say, adulterous. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not adultery. Come on, they're not married. But yeah. in a town like this, and it that, would have been that, considered, and that, and considered very nearly yeah. the same thing. Yeah, it doesn't necessarily ring untrue that this is the kind of, of yeah. reaction that a woman would get. Yeah, yep. especially in a small town in that era, you know, especially if she was known to be engaged, you know, to, to you know, God to even speak to another man was sometimes, you know, much like less, upon, but too big to, yeah, yeah, you know, and of course she brought her friend along too, but, you know, she's kind of making a little, yeah, but still, yeah, I mean, it's not the, the way these women, you know, I mean, that kind of gossip and that sort of reaction there and that yeah. sort of looking askance at that sort of behavior is, is unfortunately probably really pretty accurate you know and, and then which is why i just kept waiting for some cutting remark about yeah, you know yeah. gold digging and it never yeah. comes but nevertheless in keeping with gypsy tradition bella's funeral is a festive one we're told anyway attracting crowds to the gypsy gypsy campground so is that mm. was that stuff supposed to be part of his funeral um the movie does not make that clear so I always just thought it was just a, a another night a, at the gypsy. Yeah, that they were the car, they were like a carnival in town. Yeah, They're like the yeah. people are going to play games and going to. So yeah, I did not consider that a part of a funeral celebration. Yeah. Well, Larry confronts the dead gypsy's mother, Maleva, mm-hmm. played by the great Maria Ospinskaya. Mm-hmm. Uh, she warns him that the curse of the werewolf has been passed on to him. Disturbed, Larry flees as the power of the full moon exerts its terrible effects. Now that is a bit of license on this writer's. <laughs> yeah. On this writer's. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's not that's not exactly something that is spelled out in this movie at all. No, there is nary a shot, and I'm proud that 
this was supposedly this is Tom Weaver's book, mm-hmm. but Weaver in his commentary track does go out of his way to point out that there's not a single shot of the moon in yeah. the movie The Wolfman. There yeah. is not any moon in this film. Mm-hmm. But venturing out into the forest, Larry, now transformed fully into a two-legged werewolf, kills a grave digger. Uh at least he's not a homeless man. I mean, at least he's not another, <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Which is you know the ongoing problem that we have with the the Danitsky films is yeah. like if you're homeless, you're dead meat. <laughs> but you're camping out, sleeping under the stars, you're gonna die. <laughs> Werewolves are attracted to homeless people just like a <laughs> like iron fillings to a magnet. <laughs> well, Larry awakens the next morning, dimly aware of his ordeal. He has a vague memory mm-hmm. that something went wrong, and he's definitely he definitely knows that there's mm-hmm. dirt he's tracked in through the window of his bare, on his bare feet. The villagers set traps to ensnare what they believe to be a murderous wolf, because they definitely spot tracks that seem to be a pretty large wolf. Mm-hmm. Larry transforms again into the werewolf the next night and steps into one of the traps. After transforming back into Larry, something that the film does not explain. Yes, because so the moon is still out. So, you know. Well, yeah, but this we haven't had anything about the moon. No, that's right. Yeah, that's right. So, like, what, what does the, the intense pain cause him to turn back yeah, into that? He's almost like passes out from the pain, and because of that, it's almost like the it's like a Hulk, more of a Hulk kind of thing. Maybe. You know, that, like, maybe, once you've come See, you, that's another interesting thread uh-huh. that is, once again, totally dropped. Yeah. Never used again. It's like, <laughs> so if you inflict enough pain on this damn thing mm-hmm. and he passes out, will he revert back mm-hmm. to human form? That's yeah. a hell of an idea. Yeah. That's something I'd like to see a werewolf maybe play with. Yeah. wonder if one ever has. Huh. Good question. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, uh, after he transforms back into Larry, he frees himself with Maleva's uh, help and returns to Talbot Castle. In a determined effort to prove to his son that his fears about becoming a werewolf are a figment of his overworked imagination, Sir John binds him to a chair facing a window before dutifully joining in the hunt to slay the wolf. Now, I love this because the reason he positions him there is so that he can, he can see, see the yeah. hunt going mm-hmm. on right. and know that this is not going to happen to you. Mm-hmm. You think you think the past two nights you've transformed into some beast and have gone out and killed people and it's bullshit and, you, mm-hmm. and you're wrong to think this way. I will prove it to you. And one of the holdovers from Siadamak's original screenplay that he altered considerably to turn into this film is that that movie, that script was going to be, it was going to essentially pose the the question as to whether this was actually happening or yeah, not. Yeah, it's going to be more like a Violutin kind of film, more, right. more, more suggested, yeah. Yeah, so th- these transformations, these attacks, <clears throat> this would be, these this physical transformation wouldn't actually be something that was happening, but that mm. was something that was happening within this character's head. And he was killing people but he was not transformed into some beast Hmm. that was all a psychological thing there's a lot of psychological talk there's a a Mm -hmm. lot of uh, at the time very modern Mm -hmm. psychoanalytical conversation that takes place with this within this trying to determine Mm -hmm. whether or not this uh this whoever's doing these things might be uh deranged whether or not there's some kind of split personality And, and of course a large part of this is it's it's, it's very much linked to the uh, to the idea of uh, the Jekyll and Hyde concept, which yeah. is uh, it's 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 a way to examine the, the the split in the human psyche between good and evil, the the, the push and pull between mm-hmm. desires and mm-hmm. uh, the requirements of of mm-hmm. society, the the good and the bad, just to be blunt, and that is another part of what this story is all about, and. I wouldn't mind in an alternate universe if that script yeah. had been made and we mm-hmm. got that mm-hmm. kind of a movie, mm-hmm. something that really was a precursor to what Val Luton started doing the very next mm-hmm. year. Mm-hmm. But 
also don't want to give up this monster no, movie. No, I don't want to give us the no, Wolfman. Because, well, because had that happened, then we wouldn't have had Frankenstein meets the Wolfman right. or House of Frankenstein or, you know, I mean, Any we, we wouldn't trade anything for this Wolfman. I mean, he's, he's one of the great but, you know, screen monsters. You know, alternate like, universe somewhere. <laughs> yeah, sure. I wouldn't. Yeah, yeah. Where somehow or another <laughs> that original script from Siodmak got mm. greenlit. That's, mm. I wouldn't mind. It would be, it would be very interesting. It would. Put it, that it would. Well, meanwhile, Gwen, hopelessly in love with Larry, Somehow, <laughs> combs the woods to find him. Uh, now, I want to stress, uh, I will have a lot of uh, derogatory things to say about the uh, attractiveness of Lon Chaney Jr. if we ever make it to the Inner Sanctum films. But <laughs> I can understand a 1941-style Lon Chaney being attractive to a member of the opposite sex. Or, hey, um, um, a, a gay man. I get it. He's, he's, he's a good-looking dude. Yeah, and also his, and also maybe just his the sheer what we see as him being a bit of a bore, you know, yeah. in this, you know, to a certain type of woman he still represents, you know, for her. Or, you know, just maybe what she, she still represents something from, you know, you, think of, you still think, you know, realize she's a small-town right. girl. And, this, and, this and maybe he represents not only what you said, wealth, but I was also just thinking also the fact that he represents another country, somebody who's been around, you know, I've seen the who's world. seen things, yeah. And and maybe just his sheer interest in her, you know, what we take as being boorish, you know, as she may have actually found charming, you know. It's, 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 may have been, you know, may have been. and, uh, you know, so, so, so maybe it's not totally inexplicable, you know. Wouldn't it have been nice uh, to have had a conversation between uh, the Evelyn Anchors character and say her friend, uh, before her friend is killed, mm-hmm. where she says something about you know feeling oddly, mm-hmm. yeah, feeling oddly attracted to him, or feeling something, you know, yeah. so, something that yeah. would that we could hang that mm-hmm. this bizarre sudden just mm-hmm. des- desire to do anything to be near yeah. the man because we can we can I think we can understand her feeling sympathy for him when he's obviously yeah. going through such such bad stuff and like wanting to you know, help him in that sense. And so if we also have been shown that she is having a growing attraction, maybe it all would be a little more believable, seamless when she suddenly yeah. like wants to just run off with, you know, <laughs> run off with the no, crazy let me, killer. Let me grab you know, some clothes and we'll just, run, we'll just run, run away off, together. Yeah. It's like, wait a minute, what the fuck are you talking about? Why are you, how did we get here? Yeah. How did we get to this? Yeah. <laughs> Cause it is, it's, yeah. it's a bit of a rush. I mean, it is. You know, it is. It's, yeah. It's it's a it's a it's a quick seventy minutes. Yes, the, it is. the entire film. So. Yeah. And it it does appear to me, as it does with a number of these mm. movies as I look at them as I get older, it's like if if they could have added mm. a couple of minutes here and there, mm. mm-hmm. just a few lines of dialogue here and there to just give mm. us you know, to get us over some of these these little things that we examine and re examine over time. Mm-hmm. Of course, you know, People were never going to watch these things. You know, 15, I've seen this movie a twi- oh probably 20 times in my yeah. life. If oh, not, easily. You know. Yeah. So, I even it, tell you. So, yeah, in other words, I know people, I know we're overthinking this thing. <laughs> well, yeah. I know that's... I'm overthinking it. <laughs> I'm aware of it, but I can't stop myself. <laughs> <laughs> Same here. <laughs> and you, you pushed play, so you're listening to me, so just yeah. freaking deal with it. All right. <laughs> I'm going away. Away? But why? Oh, I gotta go. I can't stay here any longer. Oh, let me go with you. I'll fetch a few things and be back in a minute. No, no. I'm going alone. But I can help you. You wouldn't want to run away with a murderer, would you? Oh, Larry, you're not. You know you're not. I killed Bela. I killed Richardson. If I stay around here much longer, you can't tell who's gonna be next. 
Okay, so Gwen is combing the woods trying to find Larry. But a werewolf, once again, Larry tears himself free from the chair and picks up Gwen's trail. That's an interesting way to put it. <laughs> yes, it is. Yeah. <laughs> he attacks Gwen, who screams alert Sir John. Armed with his son's cane, Sir John beats the creature mercilessly, finally killing it. Now, I've been silent about this, and I just mm-hmm. want to point out mm-hmm. that... As an adult watching this movie, to me, Claude Rains is God. Oh, yeah, he's, he's fantastic. He's so damned good in this. He is. He's underplaying, mm-hmm. and then when stressing something, he's giving it the right emotional heft. Mm-hmm. He's so damned good. He's too fucking short to be this man's <laughs> yes, he father. Is. Yes, he is. But Rains is so good in this role. Mm-hmm. Of course, Claude Rains was always oh, good. Fantastic, yeah. Always one of those guys who yeah. you could count on. He was such a solid actor. I love him. I love every time I see him on screen. Yeah. But this was one of the first times watching this movie where I really concentrated on the scenes with Claude Rains in them because I was concentrating so heavily on listening to uh, the Talbot mm-hmm. dialogue between mm-hmm. the two of them. Between I wanted I was listening to Lon Chaney. And it forced me to concentrate even harder mm-hmm. on the dialogue and the performance of Claude mm-hmm. Rains. And he's so he's the best performance in the movie. He's incredible. He's mm-hmm. head and shoulders above yeah. everyone else in the movie. Mm-hmm. And part of it is the character and the way it's written. Mm-hmm. He gets some great scenes of dialogue. He gets some great. He, mm-hmm. He's 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 delivering some of the some of the psychobabble, and he's doing it brilliantly. He's mm-hmm. so good at delivering that stuff, and it's it, he's selling all of it. It never feels it never feels like even when he's uh, talking about um, some of this stuff that at, at that time was was just uh, kind of theoretical mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. how how the human mind works. He's mm-hmm. really good at it, and. When he's that scene where he ties his son to that chair, yeah, that entire scene he's got to he's got to accomplish mm-hmm. kind of three things in that scene, mm-hmm. and he nails all three of them. One, he's got to believably convince his son to let him do this, yeah, and it, 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 he does it. He's yeah. so good he get he convinces him that this is the right idea. This is what we're going to do. Mm-hmm. Then he has to calm that calm that man down in that chair and tell him, look. You're going to be here. You're going to see that there's no way that what you think is happening is going to happen. Mm-hmm. And you're going to be able to watch us out this window. Mm-hmm. Everything will be fine. Mm-hmm. You are fine. And then when he's about to leave and go join the hunt, mm-hmm. calm him down again because, no, 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 this is a fight you have to have on your own. In other words, yeah. I can't help you with this fight. This fight is within you. Mm-hmm. And he's got to sell that to him as well. He's so good. There's so much he has to accomplish in that mm-hmm. one scene. Mm-hmm. And Claude Rains just nails it to the wall. Mm-hmm. He's so freaking good. And I often hear people talk about, I have seen lots of people write saying that this is uh, Lon Chaney's 
best performance in a horror movie. And of course, they put it that way hmm. because they they want to kind of slide, you know, of mice and men to one side, hmm. and they want to slide that wonderful supporting performance he has in High Noon to hmm. one side and things like that. And they want to say of his horror roles, this is his best performance. I don't know that that's true. Because, like I say, it doesn't feel like a naturalistic performance in a lot of ways to me. His performance in Man Made Monster the same year feels much more natural. And that hmm. character, also a cursed man, yeah. that performance, hmm. he feels more like a real person. Hmm. I prefer his performance hmm. in Man Made Monster to the one in this hmm. because he's not hmm. supposed to be convincing me that he is <laughs> to the manner born. I mean, it just... Hmm. So I understand people wanting to say that because this hmm. movie's so freaking good. This movie's... Hmm. This is a better movie than Man Made Monster. Hmm. By far. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, it is. Insane. But now, watching this movie again... No, you want, the best performance in the movie is not Lon Chaney. If mm-hmm. you want to say, no, well, even regardless of that, it's Lon Chaney's best performance in a horror movie. Mm-hmm. I, I think he was better earlier in mm-hmm. the year in another film. Mm-hmm. Not as good a film, I'll mm-hmm. grant you. Yeah. And I know, you know plenty mm-hmm. of people w- would be willing to argue with me on this, mm-hmm. and that's fine. Mm-hmm. But he's so good at Man Made Monster. And there are just too many moments in this movie where it doesn't feel natural to me. It's, and I know that, that may be just a quirk for me. But now I'm going to point out the scene in the movie where I think the director screwed him mm-hmm. and makes his performance makes his performance in a particular scene really awful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's a terrible scene for an actor to have to do, especially when he's not helped by his director. And I don't think the director helped him in this scene. The scene is when he's followed the gypsies who are carrying the casket into the chapel. Oh, yeah. I, I know what you're saying. Yeah, you're you're, you already yeah. know what it yeah. is because yeah. it sticks out in the memory, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's that scene where he's alone and he, mm. he, he goes to lift up, mm. the, lift up the, the coffin lid to look at the body. And then he hides, he, he hides to one side because he hears voices. And then he comes over and he, he does this bizarre twirl around and mm. take to the camera and clutch clutch his hands to his face mm-hmm. and lean on the coffin mm-hmm. and it's like mm-hmm. yeah, yeah okay you knew where the camera was mm-hmm. that is a director yeah, giving, a, giving an actor no, I know what you mean. very that, that's bad a very, direction yeah that's a very stagey yeah. way of, of that they did chose to do that uh, that's something and, out of silent movies yeah when you're having little, to be right. really big to communicate something yeah. very small no I agree with you that is that is awkward I mean I really I, I personally am one of those who definitely falls on the you know loves Cheney's performance in, in the film you know I don't know how much of it is more just necessarily to do with his delivery of dialogue is more just how much he's able to convey, you know, uh, project that uh, boisterous. Well, just the, the 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 not only the terror of what he's going through, but also oh, yeah, the, yeah. also the the kind of pent up anger and temper that's in the man, even as a yeah. per, even when he's a human. You know, is that kind of that there's there's a lot going on inside him that he's trying to project a surface. You know, again, just kind of affability, but that really just right underneath the surface there is 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 a lot going on. And getting back to with Claude Rains. Claude Rains is fantastic in this. I've, I've I have thought that maybe you know he's such a he he comes off as such a good father kind of figure that it maybe that it doesn't it makes it even kind of harder to explain why Larry left in the first place. You know, it's almost Pretty feel much, like yeah. almost felt like maybe there should have been a little well, bit of dialogue about that. Maybe kind of hinting that when the mother died, maybe the father took on a maybe he went to a dark place that and then they would have said good. something yeah. like something yeah. to acknowledge that he has changed yeah. too. 
because he's yeah, but and you know that he because Claude Rains doesn't play him as stern as you might expect that. Well, he plays him as he plays him as reserved. He yeah yeah Yeah. not stern. That's true. And I think that it's 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 an interesting thing to point out that um, the first conversation after the son has returned there at the beginning of the movie, Rains goes out of his way as the character to say, look, there's our family has a history of this kind of standoffish relationship between mm-hmm. fathers and sons. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's something that has hindered our relationship. And I think mm-hmm. we need to end it mm-hmm. and his physical and his way of showing this physically to his son is to shake his son's hand. Yeah. Yeah. Where it's it, and I think in all honesty, that's the end of physical contact between those two characters for the rest of the film until he's tying him to a chair mm-hmm. in a form of, call it tough love mm-hmm. to prove to him that mm-hmm. something that he's convinced of is simply in his head. I think that that reserve or that sternness mm-hmm. is a great part of that character. But once again, it's one of those things where I, I wanted there to be mm-hmm. a moment later in the film when he's talking to his son and commiserating with him after, you know, this, this person's been killed and there's all this stuff swirling around this moment when he like, puts his hand on his shoulder or, or holds his arm, mm-hmm. some form of physical contact where it's a father mm-hmm. comforting a son. Yeah. In other words, a movement from this standoffishness, a handshake, which is a very awkward way for a father and a son to come to an agreement about we're not going to be so, we're not going to be yeah, so, right. yeah. so separated from each other yeah. anymore. And, but there's never, uh, a, there's never, I wish there had been another beat mm-hmm. of yeah. that element of the story within the movie so that we saw him as a father growing not just closer to the son, but maybe even forcing himself to be more physical with his son because he sees that his son is in need and that he's in distress. Um, once again, you know, this is, you know, yeah, if these, if all these, if these movies were perfect, we wouldn't love them as much. This is true, but it's another one of those things where it's like, it's hinted at in the movie. Yeah. And I just wish there was a little bit more of it there. Do you think there's anything to the doctor's accusation that he, you know, or the question like, do you, is your, is your family's prestige more important than ah, when he's trying to get yeah. him to send Larry away when he's trying to. That's true. That's true. Yeah. That is, I, you can see, and it's all in, in mm-hmm. Claude Rain's face. You mm-hmm. can see that that, that remark cuts him mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because I think that at that point in time, I always say no one in the world ever does something for a single reason. In yeah. other words, yeah. we as human mm-hmm. beings mm-hmm. may have a, a, a single major reason, but we always bolster it with other things as well. Mm-hmm. And I wonder mm-hmm. if that that's a wonderful moment in the movie because mm-hmm. you're it right. Is, yeah. That is something that's probably preying on his mm-hmm. mind mm-hmm. because regardless of anything else, he has to take into account mm-hmm. the way this family is viewed mm-hmm. to maintain their posi- position and status. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's... You, zeroing, in on, zeroing in on that is is a good thing, and That's, around that, and, yeah. and and particularly at that time, mental illness was not, you know, that didn't yeah. happen to the people. You know, people who yeah. were who who started acting a little squirrely, yeah, they got locked away. Yeah, yeah, you know, it was yeah. <laughs> you, you were put into a a place yeah. and you weren't spoken of again. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. yeah. You killed the wolf. Well. There's no crime in that, is there? The wolf was Balaam. You think I don't know the difference between a wolf and a man? Balaam became a wolf, and you killed him. A werewolf can be killed only with a silver bullet, 
or a silver knife or a stick with a silver handle. You're insane. I tell you, I killed a wolf, a plain, ordinary wolf. Take this charm, the pentagram, the sign of the wolf. It can break the evil spell. Evil spell? Pentagram, wolfbane. Oh, I'm sick of the whole thing. I'm gonna get out of here. Whoever is bitten by a werewolf and lives becomes a werewolf himself. Oh, quit handing me that. You're just wasting your time. The wolf beat you, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah, he did. Wear this charm over your heart always. All right, all right, I'll take it. What's it worth to you? I'll give you... to show me the wound? What? Do you dare to show me the wound? Go now. And heaven help you. Well, so after Sir John beats the uh, the wolfman mercilessly killing him, and of course he transforms into his son, Maleva happens upon the grim scene. Uh, she does seem to just pop up in that horse-drawn wagon. Well, I want to talk about that in a few minutes. Okay, well, anyway. Go anyway. Yes, you go. Uh, she, uh, she recites an ancient gypsy prayer over the monster's body, which slowly returns to human form. Uh, Captain Montfort and the other hunters seeking Gwen actually end up finding Sir John, who's just dumbstruck leaning over the body of his dead son. And that final look we get at Claude <coughs> Rains' face. Oh, yeah. That's, that's, that's the horror. That that's, is, yeah. that's a real horror there. Yeah. That's a man who's, yeah. whose gut has just dropped out to his knees. And we never know if he will ever let anyone know. Like, he may carry that secret, but he has seen and knows that, that yeah. Larry was right all along, and he may never tell anyone else that, yep. but, but they may carry that to his grave. That Well, I think it's fantastic that... One of the things, and of course, you, they do this in the sequel because, of course, you can't get Claude Rains back for whatever right, reason. Right. But they they say that essentially the man just ended up dying. He ended yeah. up dying of grief. That's right. I forgot about that. That's right. Uh, and I think that that's that adds. I mean, that's not part of this film, but that yeah. adds a real grace note to that character mm-hmm. as far as this series of movies is concerned. And I think that's kind of. I, I think that's that's a nice. That's a nice. T- that's one of those little touches that I really really like that adds something to it. So. Mm-hmm. But I do have, as I as I've stated, I, I love this film. Yeah, this is this is an eight out of ten movie for me. Mm. I think this is a fantastic movie. No, it's not perfect, but the things mm. that are imperfect about it are the, the things that generate conversations yeah. that I love sure. having about sure. these kind of monster movies. Mm-hmm. The joy of this movie, if we're going to call it the last great universal horror movie or the last great universal monster movie. Mm. Before Creature of the Black Lagoon. Right. Yeah. <laughs> is that this is a great way to go. This is a fireworks display oh, yeah. on the 4th of July. This is mm-hmm. a way to just set all guns blazing and make sure nobody can ignore it. This is a hell of a movie. And yeah, of course I have mm-hmm. problems with it. But then yeah. again, I have problems with almost every yeah, one of sure. these freaking movies. Sure, yeah. Because of course we do. Yeah. It's strange to me that I return to this movie more often than I return to movies that I consider better. Mm-hmm. Okay? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm I've already talked that. about how much I love the sequels, mm-hmm. especially the the two mm-hmm. immediate sequels, Go, uh, Frankenstein Meets the Wolfman and Ghost of Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. I love them. But I return to those movies and this movie more than I do to Murders in the Room, Morgue of the Black Cat, or Frankenstein and Dracula, because in a weird way, 
as dark as this movie is, as quote unquote adult as this movie is, mm-hmm. it still feels brighter mm-hmm. than yeah. those movies. The Black Cat is, in it, my it's opinion, a sick the, puppy. <laughs> yeah, no, no, not just Brilliant. that. I consider yeah. it the greatest oh, great. of yeah. Universal's horror cycle. Mm-hmm. I think the Black Cat is head and shoulders mm-hmm. above even something as brilliant as The Bride of Frankenstein. I think mm-hmm. it is it's such a remarkable film mm-hmm. that it's almost impossible. To categorize it as anything other than a singular, mm-hmm. you know, shooting star of genius, but it's a dark movie, mm-hmm. and even with its humor, Bride of Frankenstein's a dark movie. Mm-hmm. All of those movies, to one degree or another, they're dark, and this one's dark too, but it doesn't feel as mm-hmm. dark. And I don't, yeah. I can't specify exactly yeah. why. I've, you know, I've, we use the term for a lot of the, the Universal films, kind of fairy tale, but this one may be the one that almost seems to have that kind of yeah, a yeah. feel to it more than maybe any other Universal film, really. You know, it's it's it's, it's it seems like it's really kind of got that kind of timeless, almost like a, it just has kind of a yeah, just a Germanic folklore kind of feel yeah, to it. You know? Yeah, maybe that. And, maybe and, that. and let's let's give a shout out to, to Kurt Seldomack because oh, yeah. He's really, I mean, this is probably the greatest thing he ever did. And, I mean, he did some good He did scripts, a lot of great stuff. But this, I mean, to take, to be able to do something that people to this day think comes from actual old legends. <laughs> yes. yes, there were old werewolf legends, but there's very little of those that make it into this film. I mean, this uh-huh. is mostly all the stuff that he concocted, which is pretty amazing. Well, I mean, let's, credit where credit's due. Think about this. I mean... This phrase, it's repeated once too many times at the very least in yes, this movie. Yes, I know, I know. But even a man who is pure in heart and mm. says his prayers by night may become a wolf when the wolfbane blooms and the autumn moon is bright. That's indelible. Oh, yeah. Once you've seen this movie, probably because it's repeated three times in ten minutes, yeah. you're never going to forget it. Yeah. And the only way it can be altered in your head is the way it gets altered in the sequels by changing that last line <laughs> to, to the full, full moon. moon. Yes, that's right. That th- that that feels like mm-hmm. something that's handed down or maybe yeah. roughly translated from German or yeah. or something handed down through maybe from maybe from the Carpathian Mountains yeah. or oh, who absolutely. knows? Yes, it rings of authenticity it and does. something else too. I love just as much, even though it's also repeated at least one too many times. But the eulogy that. The gypsy woman speaks over, you know, that way you walked is thorn was thorny. I mean, that is a beautiful yeah. piece of writing. I mean, it is yeah. really is. I mean, it's and it's beautifully delivered by Marie yes, Osmond. Yeah, I yeah. think she's, of course, she was uh, a great actress, and mm-hmm. you know, she taught acting. She was, mm-hmm. she's one of those stage stage screen actresses who, mm-hmm. you know, was mm-hmm. so good she could bring gravitas to the fucking phone book if she wanted yeah. to. Yeah. Uh, this movie's over. This movie's over stuff with great actors. Yeah, and I, I I'll go ahead now and I want to talk about her because okay, this is probably my last major thing I wanted to bring up because, um, you know, obviously when you're a kid you're all about the Wolfman, but we've talked about how as an adult you appreciate Claude Rains, you know, performance yes. as being the towering performance. I think the other one is hers, and actually I find her character to me now is the most interesting overall because do you do you, do you feel her character is a little ambiguous in the sense of what exactly are her motivations like do you yes. ever feel there's some conflicts like she's yes but like and and not not bad writing but i mean i think no, no, no. but like I actual intentional character i don't think we ever really know what her agenda is right she's kind of sinister at times you know now i do feel like she has a genuine compassion for larry talbot you know to a point but we also have to remind ourselves he could kill her son 
you know, and there's, but she's completely sympathetic toward yeah. him. She does not yeah. hold it against him. Yeah, but, but but how much does but what does she hold against the the aristocracy and the family because she's a gypsy? That's and a the that's gypsies a good point, and yes. aristocracy have not exactly been on on good terms. Uh-huh. And the, you know, and in, in, within just a couple of scenes, we see her like genuinely try and save Gwen Collins' character when she's running yeah, oh, which yeah. But just a few minutes later, she's kind of needling, needling, you know, John Talbot, you know, kind of needling oh, the father about. She's really kind of. She has some sharp words. For yeah, me. and I, so I feel like I, I kind of my, my feeling. I've never known like I, like I agree with you that she does see Larry as like another version of her son. So she does have compassion for him. But I also wonder how much she's guided. Maybe that there's a little bit of a revenge motif basically directed at. You know the they're directed at the the Talbot at the, family, at the wealthy at the, class, at the wealthy you know? you know kind of a little bit going on there. So I've always I find her character really interesting that way, and and you know and never really totally sure where she stands in all this. And it's great. You're right. It is great the way she just sort of appears like Batman out of nowhere, and then just it just kind of disappears again. And you know that off in that wagon there, she rolls know, up in that damn wagon. Yeah. Again. Well, <laughs> one of the other things that once again, having watched this movie too freaking many times oh, God, in my yes, life. Here is the thought that keeps coming into my head is, how did her son... First of all, shout yeah. out to Bella Lugosi's fantastic performance yeah. in this film. Yeah. Uh, to my to my mind, his finest performance in all of the Universal horror films is not Dracula, but Igor. Igor, oh yeah, definitely. I think his performance as Igor in Son of, in Son of uh, Frankenstein, and even the sequel, mm-hmm. I, th- I, I think he's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. I think mm-hmm. his performance is just hands... I mean, mm-hmm. it's, just, it's so good. It's so freaking good. But... He's he only has a few scenes in this movie. Yeah. He's really, really good. He's and it couldn't have been easy for him to be cast in such a small part at this point, you know, his career yeah. in in you know. But you're right; you never know from his performance. I don't know. He's he's, he's all he, he's all in the man. Yeah, the man gives it. it man gives yeah. it everything he's got, and he's great. Mm-hmm. But there's this lingering thing about the Maria about the Maleva character, the Maria Osmus guy character, which is this thought that keeps running through my head. The last few times over the past few years that I've rewatched this movie mm-hmm. where the thought keeps popping into my head. How did her son become a werewolf? Mm-hmm. Yeah. In yeah, other yeah. words, was there some complicity mm-hmm. in his mother's mm-hmm. eyes for her, for, for, for his curse? Mm-hmm. Is there something, I mean, yeah. clearly she worked out some way because she gives Larry that uh, that necklace that's supposed yeah. to protect him. Yeah, she knew more about this situation because God knows how long she lived with her son as a werewolf. Right. But what's the genesis? How did this? How did the Bella character become a werewolf? And that backstory, that question, that I, is another one of those little things that leaves that character of Maleva a little mysterious yeah, and leaves her motivations, as you were mm. talking about earlier, her motivations mm. leaves them a little ambiguous. Mm. And I think that that's just another wonderful little shading mm-hmm. of between light and dark yeah. that is in that character and therefore kind of part of, is part, therefore part of the story and part of the kind of backstory that's got to be there somewhere. Yeah. It's, another, it's another thing in the movie that I really love. So. Yeah. And so I give it, actually I give it a nine. I give oh, a nine. okay, well, okay. And it's, you know, it's, it's, nine may seem a little high for a film that we have kind of nitpicked at and talked about all these, you know, <laughs> but, but my, but again, it comes down to, you know, my love for this film is just, you know, just off the charts as far as, I mean, it, I, I it, when we knew we were coming up on the show, I mean, I literally could have done this show without having to rewatch the film because <laughs> I've seen it so many times. And yet I did go ahead, you know, because I just love just it. just want to study it. <clears throat> so much. And it probably, uh. 
I mean, if, you know, if I ever did make, I never have really sat down and made a list of my favorite universals, but it definitely, you know, I'm, I'm sure that it would, as far as universal horrors, there's no question it would, it would be in my top five, you know, and I've. Well, the, the, all the movies that I would rate higher than an eight mm-hmm. were all in the thirties. Yeah. Uh, really, we're talking, yeah. we're talking Son of Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. We're talking Bride of Frankenstein. We're talking the Black yeah. Cat. Mm-hmm. Um, we're talking the original Frankenstein. Uh, those are nines to me. Those are mm. movies that I would rate a yeah. nine. And again, this is also kind of, I'm thinking too, of a list of favorites as opposed to what I think are yeah, technically the, the greater is, films. I mean, yeah, I would yeah. not say there's certain, there's other, there's certainly several films that I would rate higher. This is, this is very much opinion rather yeah, than yeah. some whereas, kind of whereas statement just, of When truth, I think of just yeah. how much I revisit and watch and just get, yeah. you know, pulled in and, and, and watch so many times. I mean, this was, this would definitely, well, for instance, you know, like with the Frankenstein series, my favorite is Son of Frankenstein. Although, I, even though I think that Frankenstein and Bride of Frankenstein are the better films. Uh, Son of Frankenstein is my own personal favorite yeah, yeah. of those three. Son, so it's Son that of kind Frank- of Son of Frankenstein is my favorite of the of those original three. I just there's just mm. so much meat on that, yeah. that that on that bone. There's so much to dig into that yeah. movie. Yeah, and it I mean it's it's longer, feels shorter. Yeah, it's right. got it's overstuffed with plot oh, and that, character, yeah, and it that, all works. Yeah, it all it seems to flow together. Yeah, it's just, I just lo- I love that film yeah. so much. Mm. But like like I say, there are there are only a few films. In the in the universal cycle that I really like more than this that yeah. I would that would that I would rate in that nine area you yeah know? but uh, I think um, you know when knowing that this film was coming up I think we talked about you know the question was you know what can we say that's can we say anything new about this film and I don't know if any of the I things any of the, none of the things that we came out with tonight may be new to some anything. you know but but uh, but it, it was the it was the film of all the ones here that we're going to do in this forty series. It's the one that we would have to defend the least. You know, a lot of these films, oh, yeah. we're going to have to be yeah. looking to, you know, define those those bits that sparkle in them or we didn't have to with this one. You know, this one was, no. but but hopefully we've done a, an entertaining uh, talk about it anyway. I've certainly enjoyed it. I mean, I love, I, it's a great yeah. film. Uh, I, I also, by, I got to say, uh, one thing I really appreciate about this film, especially in light of, of the other ones that we've covered, is that there's no comic relief in this film. <laughs> there's, there's, you know, now that there's you're one right. little, the only oh little God, bit, right. the only little bit of comic relief is the guy who sort of the uh, takes the notes on the murder scenes that's nauseous that's that's nauseated by the sight of blood you know but it's not overdone yeah, at all yeah. it's very subtle kind of I mean they, they I think he's supposed to be it's kind of amusing, you know, that he's 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 nauseous the whole time. He's trying to take the notes, you know. Yeah, but it's, but, not, but the, it's, it's real... not the kind of thing that a lot of attention is drawn. No, to, exactly, so, and that's yeah. the only thing that would be close to any kind of. And so, I actually appreciated that a lot, you know. That's <laughs> a good point. Yeah, I'll be, I'll be honest. It had not even occurred to me to think about that. But yeah, mm. this this movie is blissfully mm, yeah. blissfully free <laughs> of that kind of crap yeah. that yeah. that kinds of that has. Mm. I mean, if you look back at things like Horror Island and yeah. these yeah. things we've been covering in this series, it's like yeah, no matter what, they've got this this. Mm at least a comedic character mm-hmm. that, you know, comes in and, mm-hmm. and, and undercuts any suspense that the movie <laughs> yeah. might yeah. try to build up. So, <laughs> that, yeah, you're right. This does, this does not have that at all. Um, a great film. Yes, it is. And like I say, may well be the last great mm-hmm. universal horror film. Who knows? Yeah. And it, <laughs> wow. Mm-hmm. Hands, hands mm-hmm. in the air. Mm-hmm. Like I just don't care for the great <laughs> Kurt Siadamak. Yes. And, uh, and Jack Pierce, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. What I mean, we didn't even talk. We didn't even talk about the makeup mm. or the music. 
No, the God, the music, it was uh, just fantastic. Yeah. Well, yeah, folks, maybe we'll talk yeah. about this movie again some other time. <laughs> uh, maybe we'll find somebody who's wa- wa- who wants to take me to task and beat me senseless for my, my picking oh. away at Lon Chaney's. Oh, believe me, you're, it's going to be a cold, cold table at Monster <laughs> Bash this year. <laughs> when you got a Monster Bash this year, it's going to be like, oh, sorry, Rod, we don't have another seat here. Uh, uh, you know, you I don't have, I don't, I'm sorry, they, <laughs> they apparently don't have beer for assholes. <laughs> for assholes. Uh, sorry, can't. sir, your room was, uh, we had to give your, your room away to... <laughs> hold on a minute folks we'll take a brief break we'll be right back and let you know what we're doing next on the podcast prepare for a spine tingling nerve shattering podcast featuring all your favorite monsters you won't believe your ears when you listen to monster kid radio here are your hosts Derek M. Cook and his ever-rotating stable of guests discuss your favorite classic and sometimes not-so-classic monster movies. Subscribe to Monster Kid Radio through iTunes or Stitcher or visit monsterkidradio.net before the next weekly episode of Monster Kid Radio. Go through the archives for interviews with Sarah Karloff, Victoria Bryce, and Joel Hodgson. Listen to discussions about movies like Creature from the Black Lagoon, Island of Terror, and King Kong. And don't forget convention coverage from Monster Bash and the HP Lovecraft Film Festival. Classic Monsters, Modern Talk, and the Head of Rondo Hatton. Only on... Monster Kid Radio! folks uh thank you very much for listening to this uh we're gonna let you know what movie we'll be covering next in this ongoing series of mm. uh, podcasts focused on the universal horror films of the 1940s shall i call it the never-ending series yes <laughs> it's probably i don't know when uh, this how long uh, will it take yes for us to, wow because we're already talking about mm. i mean i think we're talking about having to do the Sherlock Holmes films. Yeah, yeah, I don't. Yeah, we've got two years down now, but I don't think we've really hit the years where they just start flinging these things out yeah, <laughs> on a weekly I, basis. Yeah. So I, I think since we've we, since we've decided that's where yeah. we're going to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, yeah, we're going to get we're going to get bogged down. It's going to if we're going to do this, it's going to turn into a Sherlock Holmes podcast in a weird way, <laughs> which delights Beth, by the way. Oh, I'm sure. But nevertheless, folks, the next film, we finally hit the year 1942. Mm-hmm. Whew. The Mad Doctor of Market Street is the next film in this series of podcasts. Uh, came out in February of 42. It's a whole hour and one minute long. Wow. And, man, can um, we make, make it do that? Make, we, we may have to stretch that over a few, few nights there. <laughs> well, I can tell you this. Mm-hmm. Uh, any movie that features Lionel Atwell as a mad scientist... I'm there. Sign me up. But... There is no defense of that type of that title because if, <laughs> no, if you've no. never seen the film, you'll understand what I'm talking about. <laughs> okay, well, I haven't. That's the thing is why I'm looking forward to yeah, this because yeah. this is one I've not seen. I've always heard of it, but I've never, <laughs> never just, actually watched. So. Just there had to be a better title. That, <laughs> yeah, see, that way. Yeah, an island could have been in there somewhere. Let's just, <laughs> I'll leave it at that. Anyway, Mad Doctor of Market Street. The next time we talk about these movies, that unfortunately will probably be uh, in two months, I do believe, mm-hmm. because next month Troy and I are going to return to the Nashy Cast feed for our next 
uh, whew, 10th anniversary, mm-hmm. 10th anniversary mm-hmm. year episode, uh, where we have, once again, we have two guests this time around. We have the amazing Kat Ellinger joining us over there, and Mr. Robert Monell, who I've had on the Bloody Pit a couple of times, but uh, never had him on the Nashi cast. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have chosen the, uh, <laughs> they've chosen two mm-hmm. very different yeah. Daninsky films to talk Absolutely. about. Yeah. Uh, Kat decided to talk about uh, Dr. Jekyll and the Wolfman. And Mr. Monell went with Fury of the Wolfman, which <laughs> definitely is Brave worth man. a yeah. listen. Yeah. Okay. Oh my goodness! I was yeah. so excited. First of all, I was so excited to get Cat Cat uh, Ellinger uh, that uh, I, I would I swear I would podcast with her every mm. other week if given mm. the opportunity. But the time difference between here and where she lives is far too much. But that is what's going on next month. Next month, Nashi Cast. The following month. We're back here for the Mad Doctor of Market mm. Street. And, of course, there will be other episodes of various things on the Bloody Pit sprinkled around for your enjoyment. God only knows how they mm. will be ordered. <laughs> but I'm trying, folks. I am trying so hard. <sighs> cool. Well, awesome. So, once again, I want to thank you for listening to the show. Remember, if you want to get in contact with us, the email address is thebloodypit at gmail.com. Or you can join us over on the show's uh, Facebook page. I almost forgot the word Facebook. <laughs> I wish sometimes that could be good. I know it'd be nice to forget that word sometimes. It's 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 so useful though for keeping in touch with people. How how would I have contacted people like Cat Ellinger if not for Facebook? It does have its uses. As annoying and hair pulling as it can be, it does have its and it's packed with goddamn fake news. Yes, it is. It is still uh, a very useful tool. One has to know how to (laughs) use (laughs) every tool in the tool chest. Yes, just like a hammer. Anyway, (laughs) I am Rod Barnett. I'm Troy Gwynn. And we will see you next time. Until then